Blog Talk Radio. Eagles to a, another edition of Trad Cat Night Alive. I am Eric Ajewski, founder and owner of Trad Cat Night, your one-stop website for all the day's latest church apostasy and end-time news. That's right, folks. Get to tradcatnight.blogspot.com daily. We are featured all over the alternative media circuit, and I'm doing my best to keep you up to date on all the latest happenings from around the world as we head closer to the fruition of the third secret of Fatima. My good friends, be sure you subscribe to Trad Cat Night on the YouTube channel. And in the event that my YouTube channel does go down, and I've got some breaking news here in a minute, I encourage you all to visit Trad Cat Night on the wide variety of platforms that we are now on, whether it's Veterans Today, Minds.com, PewTube, BitChute, Steam at DTube, iTunes and Google Play, as well as Player.fm, of course, SoundCloud.com and the sister site, tradcatnight.org and the Trad Cat Night podcasts are one of the hottest podcasts available Monday through Friday, bringing you the very best special guests from around the world uh, as we tackle various current events, the apostasy in the church and general end time news. And of course, we now have these live call-in shows on the weekends. You can find Trad Cat Night material across any social media outlet, Twitter, Facebook, Google+. And folks, if you have a special guest that you'd like to see on the program, contact me at Apostle of Mary at hotmail.com and I'll do my best to get them on. And uh, we had a we we're having a, a tremendous year, uh, by the way, through the first four months about to close out uh, April here. So today's April 29th, 2018. We've got Peter McCarthy from Creepy Little Book uh, coming on to discuss a wide variety of topics from 730 uh, to 845. Uh, So in this first segment, we want to cover a little bit more general news, if you will. Uh, I might even have time to take a call or two. So if you've got a general question for me about any topic that I cover at Tradcat Night, you can certainly call in now, and I should be able to handle that before our first break around 7.30. As I mentioned, we're having a very successful year, um, and I just want to encourage all those, especially who have not gotten into the financial fight yet with Tradcat Night, And every website does this. This is nothing uh, unusual. You'll find this all across any apostolate or website, whether it's LifeSite News or Louis Verecchio's site, 1 Peter 5, whatever, uh, in terms of donations. So I appreciate all your prayers, but this is an information war, folks. If you truly are behind 
uh, Archbishop Lefebvre, what Father has said, this is your place to be. There's really no other website that's more noticeable, if you will, or more visible that's holding this uh, position. And uh, I've always, you know, said the motto, the motto that we're following here is we go and grow as your charity flows. And over the course of uh, this apostolate, well over four plus years now, uh, I've been able to take the message of Fatima out to those who would not not know otherwise, uh, of course, doing a lot of media appearances, but then also rubbing shoulders with a lot of influential people, uh, whether they're athletes, uh, you know, coming from uh, the government, uh, various officials, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we do have a lot of dis- to discuss tonight. Um, but before I do that, there's some sombering uh, news. This was just passed to me, uh, coming from the SSPX website. Father Cooper may be in his last hours. I know many of you perhaps uh, know Father. And uh, very sombering news. Apparently, his kidneys are shutting down. His heart is not able to tolerate the dialysis treatments. I spoke about bringing him home to the Dickinson Priory, uh, Priory on hospice. But he seems too unwell to make the trip even from the hospital. Even if he does improve, the statement says, sufficiently to go to the uh, Priory, his care there will be difficult because of the sheer volume of oxygen he is on. Uh, Realistically, it does not seem as if Father Cooper has long to live at all. No one can say for sure, of course, but we have to continue to pray for a holy uh, death for uh, a priest of the Society of St. Pius X. So I encourage you all uh, to keep this in your intentions, not only today, but going forward. Uh, I've always said, in terms of a model for prayer, we've got to continue to pray the five Ps, uh, pray for the Pope, Benedict XVI, pray for prelates, pray for priests, pray for souls in purgatory, and pray for us poor sinners who are still here in exile and in our journey and uh, what I'd like to do before I get into some more general news uh, that's ha- uh, basically come about in the past 24 hours or so, I want to ta- discuss how Freemasonry is used by the Jews to, as a front to usher in uh, the Antichrist, naturalism, the subverting of the Catholic Church. I want to hand out a few websites for you as well in terms of uh, earth changes that we're seeing with this binary system uh, approaching us. Uh, but before I handle a few calls here, I just wanted to let everyone know uh, that my talk from yesterday, I just got up or attempted to get up on YouTube about an hour or two ago, and it's already been pulled down. I've had several of you already email me saying that there's some type of claim put on it. I can view it on my end. Apparently, you cannot on your end. Uh, no surprise here. Um, Fetzer's video Jim Fetzer's video when he was on Richie Allen uh, caused Richie Allen's YouTube channel to go down and I have videos taken down every once in a while I've got one strike against me in the past six months Um, and as of late my my videos are being highly censored a lot of you are complaining that uh, you're not even getting the videos I looked at some of the the prepper talks that I did this past few weeks and it's doing very poor on the YouTube channel. Now I know some of you are switching over to SoundCloud or uh, some of the other areas, but it's the number still shouldn't be that low. 
the bottom line is, folks, you know, who knows how much longer we have to go on YouTube. So definitely get to, you know, soundcloud.com. Make sure you're following Trad Cat Night there. And uh, we'll see how this goes. Well, we see the rise in censorship. That's one of the areas that Dr. Fetzer and I talked about uh, yesterday. He's highly targeted. I'm not so much as he, you know, being targeted as he is. Um, but the bottom line is, folks, we'll just have to see how it goes. What I'd like to do now is uh, take a call. Uh, 710 here again. First break will be 730. Then we'll bring on Peter McCarthy. I'd like to get into some, just some general uh, information before that break, but let's handle a caller. Caller, are you there? You're on the air. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, I had um, a question about um, Matreya. I hear you sure. mentioning that quite often, and I really have no idea who that is. And I also, you know, would like some special information from you so that I can understand that. Sure. Yeah, well, in my opinion, Maitreya is a general name attributed to who I believe to be the biblical Antichrist. He, of course, will have a sidekick known as the false prophet who will basically take over Rome here soon. Uh, The Antichrist's website, by the way, is shareinternational.org. Uh, I'm having a hard time hearing you. you got uh, Something's going on in the background. I'm not sure if it's me or a TV in the background, but it's a little difficult to uh, hear you on your end. Uh, I'll continue on here. Um, I'm just listening to your program and listening to your answer, so that's probably what's the problem. Oh, okay. Maybe and, it's just some feedback. Yes. Also, I want to say thank you for all the hard work that you do, and, you know, uh, we're traditional Catholics, and... Um, you know, we're very, you know, sad to see what's going on in the SSPX, too. So, um, you know, we keep up with the information that you provide, and it's been very helpful. So thank you so very much for that. Bye-bye. Yeah, no problem. What What was uh, What was your name, and where are you calling from, first name? My name is mind. Nancy, and my husband and I, Mark, are both uh, listening, and we listened last night and to some okay, other good. of your uh, radio programs. And uh, we're from Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. Good. Excellent. Wow. Right so out there in Boston. So keep up the great Excellent. work. We need, um, you know, all that we can uh, get in regard to support as traditional Catholics. And, you know, it's so important today to keep us abreast of what's going on, but also to um, continue the effort to make known that the consecration of Russia and the triumph of our mother's immaculate heart is the hope because it, you know, the desolation that some of us can go through today, you know, um, is offset by that hope. Yeah, no doubt about it. Unfortunately, the conciliar church sees the United Nations and this new building up of the tower of Babel with Vatican II as being the solution. We know of course that it's not, uh, we know the Heaven's Peace Plan runs through Russia. Uh, eventually, that's why we've got to continue to pray. Uh, in my opinion, again, I can only speak for myself. I, I think Pope Benedict XVI is the true pope. And there was actually one mystic in the church. His name was Ruffini out in Europe who said it would be the pope after Benedict XVI who would do the consecration. Now, I haven't heard any uh, public proclamation on this particular mystic. He did hold the stigmata, Father Kramer. 
uh, seemed to speak very highly of him, a former spiritual director of mine. So I always throw that out there because if the thesis holds, that'll be, you know, the Pope after Benedict XVI. And we know Francis is a true anti-Pope. That means after Benedict XVI flees Rome here soon and after war has already started. And we should be seeing very clearly just how close we are to war uh, with Russia and Russia about to make some, some moves over there in Europe um, that uh, this consecration will be done late. It will be done, but that ultimately uh, Russia does convert and will be pivotal to Christendom. But just to get back to Maitreya, there, you know, when I say that, we we don't know what his actual real name is. Everyone always asks me, Nancy, well, who is it on the world stage right now? And I don't think it's anyone. I don't think we could look at any character right now and say, okay, it's this particular character coming out of the EU. It's just a general name attributed to him. There, of course, are, you know, pictures of him out there. He kind of looks like Obama a little bit in a turban. Um, but the bottom line is, is, uh, you know, I, I would put my knowledge up against anyone, uh, priest, prelate, uh, layman in terms of studying scripture and tradition, what the early church fathers say on the antichrist. And this guy is the one we can't, we can't rule him out on any particular element or characteristic that we know, uh, uh, from the antichrist. Uh, and you know, there's other figures that we can rule out. But the bottom line is, I don't think we, we've seen him yet. So he's he's kind of off to the side, uh, so to speak. Um, and, you know, he will come onto the world stage. He'll present himself on the day of declaration. He'll first appear on United States TV after the economic collapse, which might be this year. As I mentioned, I've had all the some of the top, uh, you know, economists and financial people come on to the program who indicate they think third or fourth quarter, you know, stock market crash happens. Well, that is the case along the, the New World Order timeline. It means Maitreya will show up relatively short uh, period of time, probably within a year or so. So you could very well see the biblical Antichrist, in my opinion, by year's end 2019. But we have to see. Who knows? Maybe maybe the stock market crash is not till you know, 2020 or something. We, we don't really know. Um, but I do appreciate your, your, your prayers and, and your support. I'm going to get to one other caller here. Thanks, uh, Nancy, for, for listening tonight. we got some great information uh, coming later with Peter McCarthy. I want to talk a little bit more about the problems uh, in the conciliar church, uh, talk more about material heresy, why you need and ought avoid uh, all Vatican II churches uh, in general. But before I do that, I want to get to uh, another caller. Caller, you're on the air. Did you have a question or comment? Uh, am I on? Yes, you are. Uh, I'm Frank from Lancaster. I love. I listen to your show all the time. Traditional right. Catholic. It's just uh, so tough being, you know, uh, with, with all the. It's hard to know. No, I'm trying to get all these Norvis Ordo. I'm not good with my Latin. Excuse me. To come over traditional Catholic, I try to tell them that, you know, stay home, pray the rosary if you can't get to the true, true, not the fake, the the true mass, not the, right. the, the watered down version of mass, but pray, stay home, and pray the 15 decades of the rosary, like you said, like it's going to be tough to find um, priests out there that, or that they hold to the Vatican one status. Don't you agree with me on that? Like I hear all the time that we got to be strong and tough, like uh, 
Eagles and fight through it like a football game. It's like, you know, we just got to keep grinding, grinding it out every day. But, yeah. Um, uh, I, I love your show, man. Listen to it every day. I'm 30, I'd be 30, I'm 35 years old and I didn't think I'd, I didn't, I kind of grew up and I, I kind of had to, under, I kind of had to listen to your show and understand what was going on with the church and my grandfather was telling me, you know, things are falling apart, people taking communion in the hands, and I'm 35 years old and I woke up to this. People just need to wake up, pray the rosary, and listen to your show. But I appreciate you coming on every day. That's what keeps my day going. Good. Well, I Thank appreciate you, buddy. Uh... Yeah, appreciate the support, Frank. And, uh, yeah, it's a tough situation, uh, as you know. Again, I'll get into this later after uh, I'm finished with Peter McCarthy around 845 or so and talk about why we have to avoid material heretics um, just as much as we need to avoid formal heretics. And, yes, uh, there are a lot of, quote, unquote, traditionalists out there who seem to think, uh, you know, it's still acceptable to go into these churches where Vatican II is taught because there is a valid mass and a valid priesthood. Well, the Russian Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox, uh, who are heretics and schismatics, likewise have a valid priesthood. And they too, uh, the conciliar church that is, uh, likewise teaches heresy, and they are in a material schism. That means what is being taught since Vatican II is being labeled as Catholic, yet it is not. So this is where we get into the whole question of false obedience. There are too many people who are naive. They don't understand what Freemasonry is. They don't understand uh, the various elements at play and how the Jews are trying to undermine the church and just the Catholic state in general, trying to bring about this new world, one world globalist socialist state. And, they're going to continue to stay blind. It's it's very, very unfortunate. And like I said, I've been doing this now for many years. I've had a lot of conversations with people in the Nova Sordo, and they don't have a leg to stand on. Uh, and I'm talking about prelates even, too. I've gotten into quite a few debates with uh, bishops and priests, and they basically back out after a while because they know they don't have a leg to stand on after we can uh, visibly demonstrate how uh, the teachings in Vatican II uh, certain teachings uh, correspond with Freemasonry. Many of them, these principles have already been infallibly uh, condemned by the church. And uh, that is actually a good segue, folks, uh, for what I wanted to talk about uh, on a resistance site. There was a, an article called The Voice of Fatima, Freemasonry and the Advent of the Antichrist. Now, founded in 1717, Freemasonry was condemned by Clement uh, XII in his encyclical. Uh, and April 28, 1738, uh, specifically. Now, after this condemnation, as if it were not an, enough, the successors of Clement uh, XII returned to the matter, constantly denouncing the Masonic sect and its doctrines, uh, repetition of Pope after Pope after Pope. And uh, Archbishop Lefebvre said this, when a Pope uh, denounces or affirms something relying on the past, this reinforces his own word. A doctrine that is taught in this way, a condemnation done in this way, seems to be infallible. Again, there are some false traditions who seem to think it's only what comes out of the extraordinary magisterium uh, that is infallible, and that's not true. Uh, when something is repeated over and over and over and over again by the Pope, 
as Archbishop Lefebvre says, this would constitute it uh, being infallible, coming by way of the ordinary magisterium. So, for example, the church's condemnation on socialists or communists not being able to be Christians, uh, that very much would be infallible. Now you have Francis coming out and saying, uh, you know, communists make the best Christians, um, which obviously is a heretical statement. Uh, now, continuing along the same line, some, some of the other more significant documents that followed Clement XII uh, were condemnations by Benedict XIV in 1751, Pius VII in 1821, Leo XII, 1826, Pius IX, 1846, Leo XIII, 1884. Uh, we've also had other uh, condemnations, uh, you know, whether it's coming from Pope St. Pius X, obviously Archbishop Lefebvre tooted the horn on this and made that direct connection between Vatican II and Freemasonry. Um, and with Leo XIII specifically, he tells us uh, the Masonic sect wants to completely destroy all religious and social order born of Christian institution. They want to destroy the social kingdom of Christ the King, right? That's why the Freemasons have religious liberty, which is a uh, principle, if you will, that this country has always flown by, and I've always argued this since the beginning. We're not a Christian nation. We are very much a free Masonic uh, nation, uh, and religious liberty being a part of that Americanist heresy that was brought over into Vatican II, as Archbishop Lefebvre uh, pointed out, and it completely undermines any possibility of a nation being Catholic when you start putting all these other false religions and sects on the same level as the true religion. And of course, also Freemasonry wanted to destroy the supernatural order and establish order based on naturalism. Okay. It is preparing the way for the coming of the antichrist. And that's why these uh, Jews, certain Jews use Freemasonry as a front in the protocols of Zion. They actually say that they're using Freemasonry as a front and they will basically sweep aside that sect. They, they will no longer need them at a certain point once the Luciferian doctrine, uh, you know, obviously comes into play. And so all this stuff ties in together. I mean, my goodness, take a look at what's going on in Jerusalem uh, right now with uh, puppet Trump uh, purported to maybe have his hand in the rebuilding of the third temple. And the early church father said, when you see that, you know, you know, it's it's the end times. It's the end game. And there's so many who just want to sit back and laugh who are completely clueless. They have no idea what's going on because they watch too much mainstream news. They're playing too much video games. They're overly involved with family too much. They don't know their faith. They're completely lost and clueless. And to try to have any intelligent conversation truly on the matter amidst all of these various areas that we have to consider when we're, we're talking about the end times becomes almost fruitless, I would say. Um, so this is what we're seeing today in civil society. Remember, Pope St. Pius X warned that he feared uh, this was the beginning of the end in, in 1903 and said he could basically foresee the Antichrist being alive in his times. That was in 1903. That was even before Fatima, folks. Think about that. Can you imagine if Pope St. Pius X were alive today, standing alongside of anti-Pope Freemasonic Francis? Woo! Do we not have a situation which should be so obvious? It should be so obvious to Catholics that Francis is not only a heretic, uh, but a fraud, 
more than likely a Freemason. He cried out in the early 1900s, and he spoke of this advent uh, of the Antichrist. We've been warned over and over and over again from Scripture, from tradition, through various uh, seers, through various Marian apparitions. People just want to sweep it under the rug. I'll keep going. I'll keep going on the Nova Sordo on Sunday. Everything's good. Everything's fine. No, it's everything's not fine. And when God's justice starts pouring out and churches start closing down and the economic collapse happens and there's epidemics all over the place, maybe you'll start to see otherwise. Maybe you'll start to see it as a true eagle and start to see clearly as to uh, what is going on. Now, there was also another report for those who missed this Vatican rumblings. And this came from the false trad website, LifeSite News, who, you know, as a website, just don't get it. They're still using the terminology, the extraordinary form of the Mass, when we know the TLM Mass is the true Mass or the Latin Mass, and we know that the Conciliar Church phony version, or the Novus Ordo Missae, which had to be changed to the Mass of Paul VI because a lot of people were catching on that it was related to the New World Order, (laughs) which is, this Mass is illicit, it is schismatic. The priests who say those masses are, in the very least, material heretics to be avoided. And if you want to fly by the argument, well, I still got to get to sacraments. And and you want to go into uh, those buildings that displease Jesus, go for it. Go for it. You're only perpetuating the problem truly in reality. It's a canker sore. The the conciliar church is a canker sore uh, from God's sight. So according to this article, basically Francis is trying to end uh, the Latin mass uh, permission. And again, you know, I've been saying this now for a while for those who are new to Tradcat Night. You know, ultimately the Antichrist wants to have worship of him installed in place of the true sacrifice. So just as we're transitioning out of the true religion, right, since Vatican II, uh, the principles of the Novus Ordo religion being laid down, it will be formalized soon here under the um, – false prophet who will have a whole new erroneous setup or system, if you will, a seven-step self-realization program, I'll call it the best way to really describe it, one of which will be the mark of the beast. Uh, and we're transitioning. So they had to water down the mass. The next you'll, you're going to see, obviously, is you know intercommunion uh, with Protestants, with heretics. So her, you know basically the Novus Ordo heretics you know, getting alongside of the other heretics the best way to describe it but then it even goes worse than that as i've been mentioning now for quite some time ultimately um they want to shut down churches as a part of the new world order plan when when the persecution starts the great persecution as our lord said and it'll it'll be all over it's not just going to be limited to europe uh per se this great persecution will be everywhere that's why they're setting up fema camps now here in the united states it's not for our own good. And ultimately, we he, the abomination of desolation. And a lot of traditionalists get this wrong. I know they want to argue in a loose sense that the abomination of desolation is the new mass. But no, specifically, the early church fathers, uh, St. John Chrysostom says that we're speaking about an image here. And this will be Maitreya's image that will be set up in quote-unquote Christian churches, in Masonic lodges. Obviously, it's going to go up in Jerusalem. That's going to be the home base, if you will. The early church fathers said it would be the capital. 
of the Antichrist, of course, of the New World Order. That's why you're seeing all these various embassies now scrambling to get down there in Jerusalem. This is we're building up towards that, folks. So people, you know, want to say, you know, we're still 30, 40 years away from the Antichrist. Doesn't seem very logical to make such a statement, given we are so close to this economic collapse, in the very least. Folks, I hope you all, I wanted to get into a few other topics, but I'm not going to have time before this uh, 7.30 break here. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the ongoing poll shift we are going through, and perhaps I'll leave all of this information and maybe get to it on the other side of talking with uh, Peter McCarthy, wherein uh, I can discuss a little bit more about uh, some more recent uh, earth changes news. I'll give you some more websites as a resource so you can see with your own eyes uh, God's justice raining down. This was said by Our Lady to Blessed Sister Aiello in the 1950s that basically God's last resource, if you will, last resolution before World War III starts, before Russia goes nuts, before Russia with her secret weapons would battle America and overrun Europe would be all of these earth changes that we're now seeing, which coincides with La Salette talking about the pole shift, which we are now going through. And I don't know about you, but we have some seriously bizarre weather out here uh, in the Ohio Valley area. I'm sure it's quite similar uh, in most places uh, these days, but I wanted to get to some of those headlines and perhaps we'll have some time here uh, at the end of the program, but we are going to take a break. Uh, We're going to take a break. Excuse me. Uh, we'll be right back. Hopefully we'll have uh, Peter McCarthy on the line. Peter, if you're listening, you can now dial in and uh, we can start getting into uh, some other topics uh, with Peter. Probably get into Project Blue Beam, Chemtrails, staged UFO, phony in, uh, alien invasion coming. Could talk a little bit about the rise of the robots, artificial intelligence, anti-Pope Francis. He's got a pretty popular video on the false pope in three days of darkness. We'll probably talk a little bit more uh, about that. I've had Peter already on the show once. We had a great talk. I wanted to get him back on uh, to the live show well as well. We could talk more prophecy, end-time prophecy. We'll talk even a little bit more about uh, the Denver airport. And there's a lot of suggestion, or there's a, a lot of people in the truther world, the conspiratorial world, who think that this will be the capital of America, at least one of them. I've heard two purported theses that a, uh, the new world order capital of America basically will be Denver after this pole shift, after the p- passing of planet X from their perspective, we obviously know God has a different plan, but then also I've heard Atlanta from, uh, John Moore, who's a high ranking, uh, United States, uh, Navy officer who saw a lot of planet X, uh, maps and related material while he was, inside uh, the U.S. Navy. So we're going to take a break now, folks. On the other side of this break, in about four minutes, we're going to bring Peter McCarthy on. Again, the number to call is 917-932-8689. Plug it into your phone. Label it Trad Cat Night uh, Live Call-In Show. You can have that there. And just if you've got any question, any comment, your own analysis, Feel free to chime in uh, for questions uh, for Peter specifically. We're going to take a break. 
We'll be right back, folks.
Welcome back to TCK Live. I am Eric Gajewski. Today is April 29th, 2018. I hope you all are having a blessed Sunday. I'm about to bring on special guest Peter McCarthy, who is the creator and host of The Creepy Little Book on YouTube, a channel with a focus on fringe topics, if you will, with the emphasis on subject matter and not opinion and information as opposed to being editorial. His goal is to create content that provides people with an accessible entry point to a larger and broader, if you will, about the nature of reality, belief, and governance. Again, you can get to his YouTube channel, Creepy Little Book. He'll cover, quote-unquote, conspiratorial areas. I really hate to label it that, but according to the mainstream, uh, that's essentially how it's being labeled. But he'll cover the crisis in the church. He covers New Age. He covers UFOs. I believe last time we had him on, uh, the show we even got into a little bit of the Nephilim and Bigfoots. So we want to cover uh, a lot of these areas tonight. Again, so if you have a question tonight, be ready to call in for uh, for Peter. Call into the show uh, around 8 o'clock. We'll start handling calls at 8 o'clock uh, for Peter. If you do have a question, a comment, uh, your own analysis. Uh, Peter, how are you doing? Hey there, how are you doing? Good. It's been it's been a little bit. We've had had you on the show. It was about a month or so ago, and uh, always good to uh, get back with you here, Peter. What is the latest? What are you covering uh, on your website? Uh, and uh, we'll kind of take it from there uh, in terms of you know jumping into various current events and getting your well, opinion well, on some of the things we're seeing. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, my most recent work, I've been looking into a very interesting figure known as the Count of St. Germain. Uh, this man was purportedly an immortal, but I think what was most uh, interesting to me was his various ties to uh, occult secret societies, not only the Freemasons, but the Jacobites, as well as the Rosicrucians. Uh, I think for me, the Rosicrucians keep popping up over and over again. And, yes. you know, uh, th- there are several organizations here in the country that go by the name Rosicrucian. The most uh, popular one, of course, being Amork, the ancient mystical order of the Rose Cross. They're out of San Jose, California. And from my perspective, this is just some kind of New Age meditation, kind of quasi Christian. Uh, organization that seems to be very into meditation and crystals. Uh, but that's not the one that really gives me pause. There's one here in Pennsylvania located in an area known as Quakertown called the Fraternus Rosus Crucius. Uh, they were founded in uh, the late 1800s, and they were involved with a man named Pascal Beverly Randolph, who was uh, the man who basically brought the practice of sex magic to the United States. Uh, this guy, he was uh, an African-American. Uh, he was also friends with Abraham Lincoln, which also really stands out for me, so much so that he was on Lincoln's funeral train before they made him get off for being black. Uh, he also became a publisher, uh, published over 60 works on the occult before he was murdered by a friend. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, I've really uh, always been kind of curious about the Rosicrucian Order. I'm currently reading a book I picked up called uh, The... Uh, Secret Doctrine of the Rosicrucians by Magnus Incognito, published in 1949. Very interesting stuff. It's a very, very strange group right there. Um, and if I think we separate the, you know, the pop culture kind of new age crystally Rosicrucians from the more sinister, uh, more mysterious Rosicrucians, there's something to definitely look into there. 
Yeah, Pierre, two questions for you just to follow up. Could you tell us a little bit more about this St. Germain character, you know, obviously having ties uh, with the New Age? Uh, I, I thought I heard you say on your program last night, I was listening to at least a few minutes of it, and you had mentioned you kind of flipped on to Before It's News, which, you know, you really got to really got to sort through before it's news to find some piece of information. Oh, yeah. But you seem, you seem to have these messages of St. Germain popping up all over the place on before it's news. Uh, you know, for me, from my perspective, maybe he's one of these ascended masters that Maitreya uh, talks about. It's, it, at least mm-hmm. it seems to be. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about, a little bit more about uh, St. Germain. And then I have a follow-up question as it relates to uh, the Rosicrucians. Yeah, that seems to be the case. Uh, according to the beliefs of the Theosophists, people like H.P. Bla, uh, uh, Helena P. Blavatsky, uh, Alice Bailey, uh, these people developed a very bizarre religious belief system uh, around the early part of the 1900s. And uh, out of that came this kind of deification of this man called St. Germain. Uh, they kind of turned him into, as you mentioned, one of these ascended masters. He's believed to be part of a group known as the uh, Nine Unknown Men. And these men purportedly uh, live in either, depending on who you ask, some say the city of Agartha, which is believed to either be at the center of the earth or in the Himalayas. Uh, it's also known by the name Shambhala. Uh, most people right. know it by the name Shangri-La. Uh, so – uh, they they kind of deify this person. Uh, he is uh, either he reincarnates uh, as a new being uh, every lifetime. He he takes on a new identity, or the man just fakes his death and he is a true immortal uh, who uh, who takes on a new identity with with each new uh, you know uh, false death. So uh, they said he. Uh, there are people such as Elizabeth Clare Prophet, who I believe it was the uh, Lighthouse Ministries. Uh, they claim to worship Jesus, but I mean, they sing hymns to Saint Germain, and and you know they believe <laughs> that Saint Germain was was channeled by this woman Elizabeth Clare Prophet, who is, is now deceased. She was very much like Benjamin Krem, uh, who I'm sure most of your yes. listeners are familiar with with his involvement with the Maitreya movement. Um, but Elizabeth Clare Prophet wasn't very different from Benjamin Krem. She would channel the Saint Germain and his predictions and his prophecies. And, and of course there are many others in the new age who kind of picked up her act. Uh, you know, it's kind of like magicians ripping each other off. Everybody's pulling a rabbit out of a hat. It doesn't matter who invented the trick. Um, if they can get an audience to watch it, they're going to keep pulling rabbits out of the hat. So uh, that was kind of her whole shtick channeling Saint Germain and, and his lessons from life. I believe they call it the, the violet flame, which they believe is this energy field surrounding the earth that one can tap into to unlock, I guess, all manner of psychic abilities. Uh, it's the usual par for the course for these kind of people. Um, and and St. Germain, uh, he also kind of fits in with their uh, the idea of Francis Bacon and the New Atlantis. Some believe that prior to this figure using the identity of St. Germain, he went by the name Francis Bacon. He wrote the New Atlantis, and he was basically the architect for the New World Order. Uh, now, I'm of the opinion that the New World Order already occurred, that it happened long before any of us were born, that it was born out of the ashes of the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation, and the Thirty Years' War, and that the product of the New World Order was a world free of their greatest enemy, which was the Catholic Church. So uh, essentially what it comes down to is – the idea was to dispose of the Holy Roman Empire, uh, dispose right. of the Catholic Church, 
and create a world where they had no more monarchies to answer to, no more popes to worry about, uh, the idea of, of, of revolutions being planned uh, or the American Revolution, the French Revolution, the various revolutions that occurred around this time was to create the world we live in now. Like we live in the product of the new world order. We're not really actively waiting for it to come. It's already here. Uh, but that's just my own personal assessment. I think that some some would, would think that that is uh, incorrect and that the, the new world order is something that's not happened yet, that it's, it's far off or that it's just around the corner. Uh, I, I'm of the opinion that it already occurred in the past, and, and this is this obviously the, the kind of decadence, the kind of degeneracy that we see in the world these days is a direct result of thousands of years of planning and preparation to make it happen, coming to fruition with, uh, of course, the Freemasonic plot to create a world uh, that doesn't answer to any uh, specific religious or uh, you know, uh, monarchistic moral authority. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would agree with you in a loose sense. I mean, the New World River is here. I, I would just say in terms of solidifying it, there obviously will be from Scripture uh, a character, the false prophet, to come on to scene and to solidify things, uh, you know, have everyone take this mark. And I believe it was David Spangler of the United Nations who said no one will be able to enter into this new age, if you will, without taking this mark. So this is why, you know, I think I talked with you last time that a, a lot of Christians believe that we're about to go underground uh, in conjunction with this great persecution coming. But I, but I agree with you in a loose sense. I mean, the New World Order uh, is here. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about the, the Rosicrucians, kind of how uh, they started, maybe a connection with uh, uh, Freemasonry. If you take a quick sample search, if you will, on Google, in terms of who are famous Rosicrucians, you get names like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, Walt Disney. Uh, I've, I've done articles and blogs on him be, being a high-ranking Freemason. But then there's also some implication that maybe Ron Paul uh, is even one. I mean, I've seen his name come up uh, quite a few times as well. Uh, maybe a little bit more oh, on the Rosa. Yeah, that's very possible. I think that uh, you know some of the most famous Rosicrucians would be men that were actively involved with the occult during their time. And again, Francis Bacon really stands out. And, uh, and the magician, John Dee, uh, who was a court magician in England around the same time period that Francis Bacon lived. And this guy was involved in alchemy, necromancy. He and his partner, Edward Kelly, were actively involved in communicating with spirits. And they used this method of communication. I believe they called it scrying to uh, translate what they believed, or at least what the spirits told them, was something called the Anakian language of the angels. And they created this whole alphabet, and now there's entire magical systems in the cult practice built around the Anakian script. So you'll see uh, a lot of high ceremonial magic, the kind that would be practiced like, uh, by groups like the OTO, or even uh, more informal systems of magic, like uh, in the modern era we have something called chaos magic, uh, this involves lots of uh, uh, symbolism, uh, lots of sigil work. Uh, these guys basically, and, and there's even well-known artists who work in the field of uh, sequential art, comic book, graphic novels, who are open occultists, who hide things like uh, sigils within their work, who have very vocally announced that entire books they've been involved with the artwork and writing of are in and of themselves Spells, very powerful spells that they've been crafted with the intent of, of making this work a spell. Uh, so the Rosicrucians kind of fit in 
the Rosicrucians pop up uh, with a man named Kristen Rosenkreutz and a pamphlet that was circulated called The Chemical Wedding. And, uh, and, and that's something you still you, – you would see the idea of the transmutation of the soul, the idea of turning the lead of the soul into gold through meditation, through alchemical practice. This is all very, very occult stuff here where there's uh, uh, the, the separation of, of the divine, where man makes a god unto himself. And yes. the power of the will that, you know, uh, when we think of prayer, uh, prayer is basically the act of adoring, thanking, and supplicating God, uh, you know. But when we get into magic and we get into this idea of the power of the will, the magician replaces God with himself. Uh, and the practice of the occult is to not ask the divine for blessing, for favor, for protection, or thank the divine for the blessings in one's life, but to take from reality, from the universe, from God, what is owed to him, the power to create, the power to destroy. That's what these people seek uh, to control. Uh, and that is where you get into the idea of, of divination, the, the, uh, the desire to know, for, for, to foreknow the future, the desire to control the outcomes of life, through magical means, and whether that's with or without the assistance of demons really depends on what kind of uh, magical school of thought we're talking about. But uh, while some are very open about the idea of invoking demonic spirits, uh, things like the Abramelin ritual, which are supposedly supposed to give the magician power to communicate with a guardian angel, uh, the ritual itself is an 18-month process that some would really indicate they're, they're, the end goal is to communicate with a demon and to control demons. And, and that's all part of it, too, that, that one can't reach the point to contact the angel until they have uh, mastered the art of controlling the demon. Yeah, I wanted to get your commentary perhaps on CERN and how that fits in with the potential of, you know, I'm locking uh, to the other side, inter interdimensional beings. There's been talk of that going around, but just to follow up what Peter has said, yeah, this is what we've been trying to unmask here at Trad Cat Night, how essentially from a theological standpoint, uh, modernism is evolutionism, and evolution is basically a foundation for the New World Order, and when Maitreya steps onto the scene, that's actually what he's going to say. He's going to tell humanity that you are a god in and of yourself. There's no need for Christ. There is no original sin. There is no hell, right? Francis even said that this past month, you know, re reinforcing uh, yeah. that. So, yeah. you know, uh, you know, I want to get your take on that. If you've, if you've looked into CERN a little bit, uh, perhaps talk a little bit more. And, and again, I, I've been saying this for a while now. Vatican II is that bridge. It's now teaching these man-centered uh, principles of the New World Order, uh, it's laying down that foundation for uh, the, the New World Order's formal religion once this Mark of the Beast comes. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, again, as I mentioned, about CERN, and then maybe I can get uh, your take on uh, uh, Benai Barith here in a second. But let, let's maybe talk about CERN if you've gotten into that. I, I think I, I heard some very interesting stuff from CERN, uh, concerning CERN last night from some of my viewers. I was doing a live stream regarding the idea of alien beings already being among us here on earth and the possibility that, uh, you know, if, if uh, a creature from beyond our world could blend in, if they appeared like us in every regard, such as the story of Valiant Thor, a, uh, an alien from Venus who happened to profess Christianity, who comes to the United States, speaks with people at the Pentagon, 
uh, and becomes a liaison, uh, I guess, to our government. Now, Valiant Thor supposedly looked like a human being. And, uh, and when discussing this with my audience, uh, I had a lot of feedback that people were of the opinion that CERN was a de- defensive weapon, that it was uh, basically in the event of some kind of invasion from outside of our world, CERN could be activated to self-destruct the planet to prevent us from being conquered from the outside. I thought That's that was uh, very interesting. It's not something I've heard before. Now, we've heard people with concerns that CERN could uh, cause chaotic damage if it is, in fact, a device that opens portals and gateways to other realities, to other dimensions. You know, uh, I, I think it's kind of a, it's a very basic way to look at it. But if we consider heaven, hell, and earth, we're basically talking about three different planes of existence. You know, uh, heaven does not exist on earth. Hell does not exist in heaven. These are very distinct and separate realities. Uh, if they are in some way dimensional, like the way that science fiction or movies would depict outside realities, and CERN is a way to access other realities, other dimensions, uh, there are people that fear that this could be catastrophic if, if used incorrectly, that these people may not exactly know what they are doing. Uh, and that by using such a device, you know, we could really wreak destruction upon our own planet. Who knows if these guys open up a hell mouth, and next thing you know, you or and and many believe that's the very intention of such a device. Uh, I also think CERN's very interesting when it comes to the idea of what people call the Mandela effect. I don't put a lot of stock into the Mandela effect myself, but there is a device called the D-Wave Quantum Computer. And I believe CERN is in possession of one of these items. Now, if, if your viewers and listeners aren't familiar with this, the D-Wave quantum computer, and, and it's very easy to find this video. There's a, a, a TED-type talk, TED talk given by the creator and builder of this computer where he describes it as resembling an altar to an alien god, where he speaks about how this computer accesses similar computers through quantum realities to do calculations that a normal computer would take tens of thousands of years to accomplish. The device itself is a very large black monolith, and inside is a quantum chip that has to be kept frozen, essentially. The, the entire uh, column inside this computer, it, it's basically a big empty hollow shell with a cylindrical column inside, and this column holds the quantum chip. The quantum chip is is kept almost as cold as the vacuum of space so that it can operate. But from my understanding, and and even through the words of the creator who developed this device, this instrument communicates with other computers outside of our reality, other computers similar to itself. This is a very mind-boggling concept. Uh, It's it's very difficult to wrap one's head around this, but – Something that that interacts with things outside of our reality, could it in some way cause ripple effects within our own reality? Could it be uh, manipulating what we understand to be real? Is it manipulating our history, our future, our present? What are the ramifications of such a device? You know, there's always – you know, uh, I think there's an old Native American saying, you can't cut off the top of a blanket, sew it to the bottom, and make the blanket longer. You know, there's always a consequence. There's always a squeeze to get the juice, you know? And I think that the ramifications of such a device are definitely a concern, you know. Uh, and most people are unaware such a thing even exists. But it is a 
Uh, it's probably the, the one thing on the planet I fear more than nuclear war, the D-Wave quantum computer. It is definitely something to be concerned about. Yeah, I'm going to have Anthony Patch on the live show at the end of May. We're going to get into that, AI, CERN, uh, D-Wave, all of that good stuff. And, uh, you know, perhaps one can argue one of the biggest alters of our reality right now is the mainstream media. Uh, you know, it's just putting all that fake news out there, people garbling it up. Then we got Project Blue Beam shooting off holographic uh, images all over the place. We'll, we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. But for those who think what Peter has said in relation to potentially these beings already being here and that being some preposterous statement, I remind everyone that the angel uh, Raphael uh, took human form, uh, right? And he was disguised as a traveling companion of Tobit's son unable to be mm-hmm. uh, recognized. I believe he took the name Azarius or, or something along that line. So what I'm saying is I did a whole hour and a half show on this. I do believe that these ascended masters are here already, fallen angels in the flesh, St. Germain, you know, being one of them. Uh, I'm not sure if that's, you know, the official name he'll go by or whatnot, but it, it's, it's going to get bizarre, Peter, I think. You know, I've said we're going at a oh, diabolical yeah. dis- disorientation at just the flat-out twilight zone. And, and the speed at which it's occurring is, is really that's, – that's the, the breakneck speed that these things are ramping up is it, – it's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. And a few short years, you know, I was, I was sitting with my father a couple of days ago, and he mentioned a, a coworker of his who happens to be a homosexual man who was married. And I was like, can you imagine saying that, that sentence 40 years ago? It would be unheard of. So, and, and now it's, it's common. It's par for the course. It's, you know, it's just – it's, uh, it has now become a normal part of our culture and our society. So, so much has changed so fast. I mean, you know, for, for somebody who grew up in the, in the 40s or in the 50s or even in the early 60s, the world must seem so off its wheel, you know, uh, with, yes. with the changes that have occurred, with the, the, the descent of morals and with decency into basically gutter. It's, uh, it, it's, it's something else. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, not sure if you heard, but basically Pope St. Pius X in 1903 in one of his uh, encyclicals, one of his writings said that he feared that the Antichrist was perhaps already alive during his time, seeing all of the absolute liberalism going on. And that was in 1903, folks, before Fatima, before Vatican II, before, you know, the 60s and the sexual revolution. And I just suppose he imagined if he were alive today, what in the world he would say with the rise of the sex robots that we see, you know, see all these just yeah. insane articles popping out. Well, folks, we're at the top of the, the hour here, so we got to take a break. On the other side of the break, in about four or five minutes from now, uh, we we're, we're going to get Peter back on. We're going to talk Synagogue of Satan, uh, Benai Barith. I want to get his take on Project Bluebeam, Chemtrails, a little bit more uh, about uh, UFOs or perhaps a, a staged phony alien invasion coming so much to discuss get to peter's youtube channel creepy little book subscribe folks we'll be right back hang hang tight peter
Welcome back to TCK Live. I'm Eric Ajewski. I'm with my special guest, Peter McCarthy of Creepy Little Book. And before I get into uh, another area I wanted to talk about tonight, the Synagogue of Satan, uh, Benai Barith, uh, the Talmud, Puppet State of Israel, how that all kind of factors into this endgame, if you will. I wanted to get Peter's uh, take on chemtrails, uh, his research, maybe Project Bluebeam a little bit, and the potentiality of a staged phony UFO invasion for the New World Order to attempt to unite humanity. Again, Reagan had a speech back in the 80s basically saying, you know, uh, we could have this outside alien force and basically we all would have to come together, yada, yada, yada. And when I had Dr. Fetzer on last night, he said, uh, of course, from his perspective, there were no planes involved, that these planes that apparently hit uh, 9-11, purportedly hit 9-11, were just merely holographic images, which ties into Project Blue Beam. And I just suggested to him uh, that if they can do that with the 9-11 event, just imagine how they can deceive the masses with a phony uh, staged UFO uh, invasion. Peter, what do you think about uh, that particular topic? And feel free to weigh in on 9-11 as, as well, because I know that's, uh, you know, a quote-unquote uh, fringe topic, if you will, if you want to get your uh, analysis on that. Uh, Project Bluebeam, well, maybe talk... Go ahead. I think Bluebeam's a really interesting and real likely possibility. I think that if you look at Bluebeam and then the subsequent Project Fire Sign, uh, these ideas have been kind of floating around since the first Gulf War uh, the idea of a holographic deception to use against enemy forces, uh, I think it's very telling if we see what's possible now with holograms, even in commercial areas like entertainment. Uh, they're making leaps and bounds in holographic technology in Japan. Uh, there's just am amazing capabilities with this. And, and before long, I think that you know the holograms will eventually come to replace traditional screens as we know them. I think by the time, you know, I'm an old man, there'll be a, televisions will be a thing of the past. And essentially what you'll have is some kind of table to replace screens, and these tables will broadcast holograms. And essentially instead of watching a television program, you'll see these three-dimensional plays kind of play out before you. Uh, we're already seeing this technology being used in gaming with stuff like the Oculus Rift. Uh, so it, it's getting there. And, and also, uh, sadly, pornography drives a lot of this technology as well. Pornography, uh, you mentioned the sex robots. Uh, of course, you know, the idea of creating three-dimensional holographic uh, sexual partners will be a goldmine right. for people who work in these kind of industries. I mean, it's, it's – and, and that's the sad thing with this kind of technology is that it could be used for so many – beneficial purposes for humanity and uh generally we see it appeal to the most base desires of humans animal nature you know um so i i think that with, when it comes to blue beam it very well may work hand in hand with something like chemtrails you know the concern is that chemtrails is uh often being used to spray us with chemicals to affect our fertility to affect the way we think to uh, deteriorate our health, which is very possible. But it's also very likely that these uh, planes are leaving particulate in the atmosphere that could be used to help pull off a holographic deception. You know, uh, at least at this point, you know, it, it, it's, 
it's possible that these particulate in the atmosphere could act as the movie screen to yes. project these images onto. So I, I don't think it's, it's far out of the realm of possibility that these two are interconnected. And, you know, holograms aren't going to be enough. I think that you, you would have to create mass-scale destruction that could be achieved by something like the rods from God technology, the idea of, of kinetic bombardment from orbit, something that's not a nuclear device. But you, you essentially, if you drop a, you know, a, a steel pole the size of a telephone pole down from orbit and it hits you know, something on the ground, it's going to cause a massive impact. It's not going to leave any radioactive material. It's not going to leave any trace of explosive. It's just going to decimate whatever it hits. You know, it's just kinetic bombardment. Is like the terminal velocity of something like that falling from orbit could devastate a metropolitan area. And that, in conjunction with holographic projections, uh, with something like extreme low frequency to manipulate people's minds and emotions, uh, that could all be working in conjunction together. I feel like that is kind of a last-ditch effort. I feel like that's their, their last greatest plan if yeah. people truly wake up. And I, and I do think that in some sense we are seeing an awakening. Uh, and oddly enough, what kind of tipped me off to this awakening was the most recent Star Wars film. Uh, it was uh, – you know, it's the Star Wars people who are into this stuff are very adamant. I mean they're die hard. They almost turned Star Wars into a religious kind of thing. But with that yeah. most recent film, it was, it was full of so much social justice, uh, so much feminism. Uh, you know, I, uh, even if you consider the original Star Wars, this follows the idea of the, the monomyth, as outlined by Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey, how the hero is called to action. He must overcome obstacles. You know, the idea of a true Hero, and, and there's almost parallels to Christianity within the original Star Wars stories. Now, in our modern era, people don't like to create. It's not about creation. Creation is a divine act. You know, it is like it is our portion in what is godly within us that we have the ability to create art and music and beauty. That that we can conceptualize something in our mind and make it real within our world. But that's not what they do these days. Now it's about deconstruction and subversion. So with this most recent Star Wars film, it was about destroying what came before. They take the heroes of these original films and bring them low. You know, the, the great hero Luke Skywalker becomes a, a bum and an old, uh, an old grump who doesn't want to do anything. Uh, Han Solo becomes a runaway dad and dies unceremoniously. Uh, and, and this has angered so many people that it caused more of an awakening than I think they intended. It, was, it caused a backlash they never expected. And this kind of gives me hope that people could see through this Hollywood agenda because that's all it really was. And, and I mean, we, time in and time out, we see the agenda behind what the media does, what Hollywood does, and it's becoming more and more apparent and more people are waking up to it. When they lose that grip on the hearts and minds of people that they have had, through the entertainment industry for a century now, they're going to have to resort to something else. And they will fall back on the tricks that they've always been able to use, deception and manipulation. And I think that Bluebeam is their final master stroke to bring the world to its knees. Uh, and then, of course, a figure like Maitreya or an Antichrist can come along and uh, you know, claim to be the savior, claim to be able to stop the attacks, claim to be able to free us 
from the oppressors that come from the stars, you know. No doubt about it. Uh, certainly that's one of the areas I want to get uh, Peter's take on what we're seeing as it relates to the developments between the United States and Russia, the message of Fatima, geopolitics. But, you know, interesting points there, folks, uh, made by Peter. We definitely live – we're living out a lie, basically. I've always said this. We're, we're kind of in a, a giant WWE wrestling show. We're sitting in the audience where we're kind of just – playing along everything's kind of staged we live in a fake world we got fake news we got fake theology coming out of the vatican now we've got fake relationships right uh great point there uh made by peter i mean this seems to be the ultimate form of contraception now even uh pornography but now vr pornography where uh real men don't want to interact with real women and vice versa uh, do you find more and more people are avoiding reality and can this ultimately replace people who are trying to avoid reality, maybe replacing the party scene, the pills, the alcohol, video games or whatnot. Uh, this, this seems to be very dangerous situation. It, it, is, it is dangerous. And it, it's part of, uh, I think a broader plan. I, I think that, you know, we've, we've gotten to a point where our, uh, obviously there's an issue with a crisis with shopping malls around the country. People aren't going out shopping. Anymore. Uh, but what they are doing is buying things on the internet and sitting at home. Uh, the, the plan is to make the home the basically the prison. You know, if, if there's no reason to leave, if there's nowhere to go, uh, then it's easy to keep track of you. And especially if we're filling our homes with more and more devices that keep track of us. You have your Amazon uh, Echoes and your Alexas. And, and I mean, I've, I've seen this myself with my own smartphone. You know, you'll be sitting there talking with somebody. You mention a specific keyword, and then two hours later you check your phone and you've got an advertisement. That relates to mm. a word you might have said a couple hours ago, you know, uh, and I mean that that happens. It's, it's constantly listening. We're we're always under surveillance, and now with the advent of uh, people doing uh, genetic testing for hereditary purposes to try and find out their uh, their genealogy, right. now they're keeping databases of our most private genetic material. And once you sign up for one of these Ancestry.com kind of things, that's <laughs> it. You have given up your rights to your own DNA. Yeah, and that's closed. exactly how they just caught the Golden State Killer because of a distant relative of his used one of these uh, genetic testing sites, and law enforcement was able to get that genetic material and through a process of elimination slowly narrowed down who they thought the suspect was, and that's how he was caught. So, I mean, it's a good thing the killer was caught, but at the same time, this raises serious issues concerning DNA and who we're giving this DNA to. And in the future, I think we're going to look at a very dangerous nightmare scenario where we don't have a right that protects our privacy of our DNA. We don't have a right that says our DNA and our genetic material is our property. That doesn't exist. This is something the founders couldn't have conceptualized of at the time they lived. So now there's no protections against our own genetics being used against us or being collected and owned by a private company. Yeah, no question about it, folks. If you've got a question, if you'd like to weigh in on the conversation, again, the number is 917-932-8689. We're talking with a wide variety, uh, with Peter, with a wide variety of topics tonight. Uh, and that's, that's a very interesting point. I've had Dr. Hoynowski on the show, who's a traditional Catholic apologist. He's doing an investigation as to a potential uh, fake Sister Lucia and this calls into question cloning. Uh, have you looked into, I know you covered the conclave in 1958, but have you looked into the potentiality of a false pope 
being implanted, uh, you know, the real Pope Paul VI being taken out. Uh, I know State of a Conscious tried to use this as an argument that, you know, a, a phony Paul VI was implanted, but then also uh, a fake Sister Lucia. Have you looked into uh, that particular topic? Well, I, you know what? That comes down to, uh, I believe there was something called the, uh, uh, I want to say the, the Talax Conspiracy. Uh, and this involves Freemasons and uh, uh, I believe Mother uh, St. Teresa um, of Avila. The, the idea that these, uh, these Freemasons have infiltrated the church. There is no doubt about that at this point. Uh, one of the greatest enemies the church ever had was the Freemasonic lodges. And at this point, there is just no doubt in my mind that during the Conclave of 58, French Freemasonry, the Freemason organization known as Benibarith, which is also a, uh, a Zionistic organization, were very involved in usurping any and all of the last authority that the church had. And this has been a continuing process for them. It started during the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation. During the 60s, they achieved a, a, a grand victory with Vatican II. You know, the idea that I guess at the time – the argument was that the church needed to modernize or it would lose followers. And that definitely backfired in their face. Their modernization did nothing but drive more people away from the church because we got the whole cafeteria Catholicism where you pick and you choose, you believe this, you don't believe that. Oh, I'm Catholic, but I'm pro-choice. Oh, I'm Catholic, but I'm liberal. You know, so you saw that happen within the church. Uh, you know, and, and I don't think that necessarily, you know, Kennedy being the first Catholic president, uh, I don't know if he was the necessarily the most uh, uh, optimal choice to be the poster child for Catholicism that America first got <laughs> used to, you know. Yeah. And, and, and we have to take into account that Catholics were not looked upon favorably here in America for most of our country's history. You know, it was the there was a lot of anti-Catholic bias, uh, and, and this followed lots of uh, ethnic groups over here as well. The Italians, the Irish, these were traditionally Catholic peoples. They came to this country with their religion. They had a lot of, a lot of trouble building churches. They had a lot of trouble with Rome trying to build their own churches. Here in Philadelphia, I believe that the, the Irish got here. They built a church called St. Patrick's. The Italians got here. They wanted to build their own church. The Vatican wouldn't let them. There was a real danger at that time of a breakaway church happening in the United States, an American Catholic church with no connection to Rome. And Rome had to really reassert its authority. Uh, but in just 30 short years from that time, you would see the church fall to the UN. And, you know, even the papal tiara was handed over for auction. Uh, and right. it's, it's a disgrace, you know? Um, and, and now it's, it's, perfectly legitimate to be openly anti-Catholic. It's perfectly legitimate to mock the priesthood, to suggest that any Catholic priest is automatically a child molester. Uh, and, and this was, uh, again, part and parcel. The media can be blamed for this, too. Now, sure. that's not to say that there wasn't impropriety going on. I mean, obviously, there were some vile acts going on committed by priests. But that was the exception, not the rule. And it was painted in the media as if it was uh, much wide, well, much more widespread problem than it actually was. Now, in my own Catholic high school, we did have a priest who was arrested for this. Uh, and you know what? You can kind of 
it, you wouldn't be surprised to to learn this, having seen how this priest interacted with with, and, and I don't want to say children because it's not necessarily children. We're 15, 16, 17 years old. You're not a child. I mean, you you might be in a sense you're still an adolescent. Yes, you're not an adult, but you're not a an eight, nine, ten year old. You know, a uh, sixteen year old boy knows if he's involved in a romantic relationship with a priest that it's not proper. You know, it, it's it's not something where there's 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 no knowledge that this is not in some way wrong, you know. So the way things are portrayed by the media and the way things are on the ground is, is very different. And and again, that's not to say that things weren't not uh, you know, reprehensible, that there weren't reprehensible acts being taken place. But I think it's very important to note how the media portrays uh, an incident and occurrence and the whole scandal itself and how the scandal actually played out in individual cases and around the country. Yeah, bias is still here, folks. There's no doubt about it. I've always argued, you know, America's been uh, predominantly a Protestant, Masonic, uh, Zionist uh, state, republic, uh, if you will. We're now, there's a pre-planned uh, implosion of this country so that we can be integrated into uh, this globalist, one-world socialist uh, republic. And I must, I must also remind people that the church has condemned Americanism as a heresy. It still is a heresy. It was brought into uh, Vatican II, as Archbishop, Archbishop Lefebvre mentioned. Uh, I wanted to get your take on the synagogue of Satan, how the puppet state of Israel plays into all this. You know, I've been labeled an anti-Semite for basically saying in a loose sense, in a general sense, that, uh, you know, the synagogue, and Jews in general are behind this Brotherhood of Death or the New World Order. I'm not implying all Jews are, certainly not. There's some wonderful uh, Jews who are Christians, traditional Catholics or whatnot. Uh, but we do know from tradition that in the end, the, the, the Antichrist would be a Jew. He'd come from the tribe of Dan. He'd make Jerusalem uh, the capital uh, of uh, the New World Order, of the Antichrist. He'll, he'll sit there in the rebuilding of the Third Temple and so on and so forth. And a lot of these Zionists and just outright Jews are very open and honest about how they feel about the Goyim, about how uh, they are purposefully destroying our morals here in the West, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, maybe talk a little bit more about those lines. And, and, and from my perspective, the farce of anti-Semitism, it seems like you can't mention anything against Israel and uh, otherwise are labeled an anti-Semite. Uh, one, one particular recent case, uh, Peter, is, you know, we obviously have just bombed uh, Syria and we're basically using the excuse that we're protecting humanity, you know, against Assad, the, you know, the creature that he is uh, by the Western uh, media. But then here you have uh, Israelis basically gunning down poor Palestinians and, and they're laughing and you know, there's a double standard there. You know, why aren't we bombing Israel and protecting the people from the office? Right. right? <laughs> well, and, and that really is the rub right there. You know, and it's like you said, the, the Jewish people themselves are, are are generally like everybody else. You know, uh, we each have our own uh, ethnic groups, our own religious beliefs. Uh, you know, the, the call of Christ is for everyone to be one. You know, at the end of the day, that was really the, the, the call of Christ, that until they all are one, you know. So uh, we're supposed to love our enemies. We're still, you know, we're, we're all brothers in, in God. But uh, I look at Zionism the same way I look at any other supremacist movement. It doesn't matter if you're a neo-Nazi or a Black Panther or a Zionist, uh, you know, Jew. It's all basically the same stripe to me. If, if you believe that your ethnic group is superior to others, I think that's a disordered belief system. Now, the problem with Zionism is there's also a political component to it. Uh, there has been, since the Reconquista in Spain, 
since the time of Ferdinand and, and, and Isabel, a interest in uh, Jewish communities to return to Israel. Now, I don't necessarily think that because the Bible depicts Israel as the Jews' promised land that, uh, you know, because they were destroyed by the Romans in 90 AD, that legitimately gives them claim to that land in 1948. I think that's a real big stretch. Now, would that have been possible ever if not for the Holocaust, if not for World War II? But because without the narrative of the Holocaust, without the narrative of World War II, uh, there's no impetus to make the state of Israel a reality. Right. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, and, you, you know, I say this quite often. There are many, 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 many Holocaust museums here in the United States, many Holocaust monuments. But I don't know of any concentration camps that existed within our country. I don't know of any death trains that, that loaded up Jews from New York or from New Jersey or from, you know, Baltimore or Boston and took them away. Uh, so, I mean, look, uh, don't get me wrong. There's people here in America who are the offspring of people who may have suffered under that regime. Uh, I do understand that. But the Holocaust itself is much like any other culture of, uh, I'd say, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, the culture of identity. So with different ethnic groups, you have different uh events in their history that can be used as social leverage. You know, uh, there are people who make a career out of outrage, you know, or out of prejudice or out of discrimination. This is uh, obviously, and, and this goes for all ends of the spectrum. You can have somebody like Richard Spencer who makes a career out of white identitarianism. You can have a, somebody like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sean King, who makes a career out of Black Lives Matter and being offended by things. So uh, there is definitely a way in, in everything there is an opportunity. And for someone looking to exploit an opportunity, they will find a way to do so. And this is true also of political Zionism. And the political Zionism also has a lot of sway over our government. It's just, it's undeniable. Protestants tend to elevate the Jewish people to a status that is not seen for any other religion or racial group on earth. And right. and I think this is a danger that we see specifically with non-denominational evangelical Protestants with, uh, with kind of Southern Baptists, like this idea that I will bless those that bless Israel and I will curse those that curse Israel. So you'll see this like lockstep unwavering support for a nation that isn't our own, for a foreign people, for a foreign government, uh, you know, and, and obviously the people who have dual citizenship that, that hold dual citizenship for both countries, uh, you know, and, and just as an aside, I don't think anybody should be able to hold dual citizenship. You know, you can't, you know, you can't serve two masters, you know, so, uh, so uh, like uh, allegiances should lie in one direction and one direction only. Yeah, no doubt about it. And what we have to also remember as Catholics, uh, you know, when we're taking a look at our proper Bible, uh, Dewey Rames Bible, St. Jerome and the other church fathers always uh, translated, uh, if you will, Israel or Zion as being equated to the Catholic Church. 
uh, which is so often obviously heretically misinterpreted by Protestants. And again, it just doesn't make sense because Jews in general who are, who are following, who are outside of the Catholic Church and, and not following the true Christian religion, they, of course, reject the Son. And even Scripture mentions how if you reject the Son, you reject the Father. So you don't have either or. <laughs> so that's why Jesus got a little irate with them and said, you're, you know, you're of your father, the devil, and all that uh, good stuff as well. Uh, Peter, if you can, uh, are you able to hang with us till nine o'clock uh, tonight? If oh, not, yeah, I'll let you go. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I wanted to get into Fatima. I want to talk a little bit more about the developments we're seeing geopolitically speaking. I wanted to get your take on uh, this area that I'm not overly familiar with. I know you you, you do a lot of work in uh, the Antarctica, uh, you know, kind of situation. A lot of talk of you know Nephilim being there and all kinds of. Uh, mysterious occultic activity going on there. I want to talk about your video, False Pope and the Three Days of Darkness, and also maybe get into uh, the Denver airport. A lot of news being circulated now that potentially this could be the capital of the uh, of the United States after you know the collapse and after this the, the pole shift, uh, this binary system passing us. So I think we could probably fit that all in uh, in 30 minutes. So uh, if you can, just hang on. What? Yeah, one second, and we'll get you. Right back on, folks. Listen, if you've got a question for Peter, if you want to weigh in on this conversation, the number is 917-932-8689. We'll be back in four minutes.
Welcome back. This is Eric Ajewski from tradcatnight.blogspot.com. This is Tradcat Night Live. I'm with my special guest, Peter McCarthy, from Creepy Little Book on YouTube. Make sure you get over there and subscribe and follow all the latest material that he is presenting. I want to bring Peter back on now here in a minute. In a second, we want to discuss the message of Fatima. Obviously, we see a lot of things happening on the geopolitical level, and I've had quite a lot of Protestants uh, come on to my show who suggest, you know, Trump's got this under control. There's no way he's letting us go to war, so to speak. Um, I believe I paint a very vibrant picture that we are living in those Luke 21, Matthew 24 times where nations are, of course, are distressing, not only internally, but as our Lord said, there would be war amongst the nations, but then also kingdom versus kingdom, he said. So I don't believe we're that far off from fulfilling the Fatima message overall, where Russia essentially just loses it. There's other prophecies, such as uh, Blessed Sister Aiello, who mentions that uh, Russia, with her secret weapons, will battle America, will overrun Europe. Uh, I think it was just a month or so ago where I saw there was a, a proposed leaked plan of Russia and how basically they would react to certain NATO moves. And it's it's not going to be pretty. I mean, it, it would essentially fulfill prophecy along those lines. So that's why I just wanted to get uh, Peter back on right now so he could discuss what he is seeing geopolitically, maybe discuss the message of Fatima. And uh, it seems like I, I, like I don't know how much longer they can keep this this dog and pony show going, this banter back and forth without it ultimately re resorting in war. I've always argued, Peter, that they're using war as a backdrop to solidify the one world religion. Right. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, uh, there, there, something's going to happen uh, on a more larger scale. Uh, how far off do you think we are from um, the potentiality of, of Russia basically saying, okay, enough's enough. Uh, I think that we're at a very strange point in time where the media and the Democratic Party have done their best to antagonize uh, another nation to try to uh, blame their own defeat and failures on the Russians. Uh, obviously, they lost the election. They lost the election. They can't take the blame for losing the election. And, uh, you know, we, we see in the news cycle every day. It's, it's somebody else's fault. I mean, it, it, Hillary still can't <laughs> own up to the fact that she lost the election because she was a terrible candidate. Now, I don't necessarily know if we'll see a war between the United States and Russia within the time period of Trump's presidency. But I do think that if things continue on this course, they will lay a foundation where uh, the next time a Democrat is elected to office, they won't be able to repair the kind of relations that they've created at this point. So uh, I don't think the Russians necessarily want a war. I don't think they're in a position of strength in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they, they just, uh, you know, they would be crushed the same way they were in the late 80s and early 90s economically. They just wouldn't be able to keep up. There, there's there's no way that they could outspend us when it came to producing weapons of war, when it came to uh, deploying troops. Uh, I, I don't see it being a possibility. I could see perhaps the entire thing beginning with naval skirmishes, uh, that, that and a lot of posturing perhaps. But I'm, my concern over war with Russia is almost non-existent. Uh, I, I don't think that that is eminent. 
I think that it's possible after the Trump presidency, and whether that presidency ends, you know, uh, after one term or two, uh, you know, who's to say at this point, you know, but. Yeah, I was just about to, if I, I can interject once. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't know if you saw this, Peter, but uh, Trump actually on Zero Hedge today, and I'm sure this is all over, he, he talked about the potentiality of his uh, impeachment, impeachment happening uh, long before even 2020. And then also you got to take into consideration maybe uh, he gets, you know, JFK. I mean, I hate to really say it like that, but uh, so he, maybe he doesn't even make it to 2020 is what I'm saying. Who knows how it'll play out, but um, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, well, no, I mean, that's – and there's a really bizarre thing that I can encounter, too. Uh, when it comes especially, there there is a segment of evangelical Christians that believe Trump is anointed. They, you know, they call him the lion. They, you know, they, they believe that God anointed him. They believe he's a character from prophecy. It's like – it's really bizarre, and I encounter <laughs> this a lot. Uh, I did a video about the QAnon phenomenon, which I believe is total – uh, bunk. I, I do not ascribe to it. I think it is explain, total nonsense. Explain. Uh, so I'm actually QAnon, you, but explain it, yeah. Yeah, so QAnon begins making predictions uh, in late October of 2017. Now we're six months down the line with his Riddler-style uh, you know, quatrains, his Nostradamus-style predictions, and I mean, they're, they're baloney. I mean, you know, I, I could sit there, I, I think of grade school when, uh, you know, the, the girls would make these little kind of paper folding things and you one, two, three, four, pick red, pick blue, uh, Bobby Sue likes you. You know what I mean? So uh, I feel like it's magic eight ball fortune cookie style prophecies that these people are kind of cooking up. Uh, I'm of the opinion that Q is one person, that Q is somebody who created a character. It took off. And sadly, uh, there's there's been a plus side to it where it's opened the door for a lot of people to be more analytical towards what they're seeing in the news. But at the same time, it's created a very hardcore minority that treats it like almost a religious cult following. They believe that these yes. are prophecy, these are predictions, that Trump is anointed by God, that you know this billionaire, yeah. this billionaire playboy <laughs> is God's chosen instrument to reclaim America. The Great Awakening is coming, and so many people get furious with me with with my stand on this. <laughs> but you know what? We're six months down the line, and I'm not seeing any of these Q predictions come true. Now, in retrospect, people can pull out these predictions and say, "Oh, this means this, and that means that." You know, but that's like saying if the sun rises at, uh, you know, 10 degrees to the west on the, the third Tuesday of May, we're going to get a snowstorm in, uh, you know, December. It's it's like the Farmer's Almanac or something. I just – I don't buy it. Uh, it. To me, it's a lot of bogus baloney, and uh, people have made a cult out of it. I think it is dangerous uh, for those people who have fallen uh, prey to these – Games. I mean, to me, it's just a great big game. It, yeah. it is a yeah. it is a, a role playing game. It is no. It is akin to Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> or any other tabletop. Yeah. Uh, pull out my figurines and my graph paper, and we're going to play the Q home game. And President right. Trump's anointed, and he's going to do it. You know, the third temple is going to get built. President Trump's <laughs> going to be there. We're going to blow the shofar horn, and and Jesus is going to come back. And you know, it's this real rosy picture of. You know, for some of these people, Jesus is like Superman, and one day he's going to come flying out of the sky with his red cape flowing in the wind, and, you know, we're all going to hold hands and kumbaya, hands across America, and the whole night. Um, 
But that doesn't line up with what we learn in Scripture. That doesn't line up with what we hear in the words of, of prophecy and private revelation. It just doesn't. Um, but then again, I mean, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, Protestant denominations, which essentially – Kind of decide, hey, this is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what, I had a friend, uh, let me put it like this, I had a friend who asked me the other day, he, he's, uh, he's an atheist, but he's finding the rumblings in him of faith, he's starting to think that he needs something to believe, um, and I, you know, I spoke to him how I was raised Catholic, and the one thing that I always kind of liked about Catholicism, from my understanding of it, was that great theologians lived in the ancient past, who sat down with an understanding of the full scope of all the philosophy that came before them. Uh, people like Origen, uh, people like Augustine, people like Ignatius. And these men really sat down and did the homework. And this homework became fundamentally foundational to what Catholicism was. There isn't many questions in regards to what does a Catholic believe about any given topic, because it's been addressed by some great church doctor, by some great father of the church, has already addressed it. So you can go back to these ancient writings. You can consult with the words these men have written down, with the councils, with the, uh, with the, with the encyclicals, and see for yourself how these things have been interpreted. It's not like on Sunday you go down to the Little Blue Bible Church uh, or – you know, the third day, seventh week, 15th month, uh, Bible Baptist, Jesus Church of Christ, where all of Scripture is being interpreted by one guy or by another uh-huh. guy in their own personal way. You know, you have what is essentially the, the great magisterium, the, 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 <laughs> the fullness of time and space when it comes to this religion. So – you know, and I, look, I was raised in the Novus Ordo Church. I always say this, you know, to people. I don't know the Catholicism of my grandfather because it was gone by the time I was born. You know, it was, right. it was, it was, and, and I wonder how, you know, people who grew up in the 20s and the 30s, how did they react to the change? Like, and and I saw my grandparents stick with it when the church changed, but I I don't really understand. At the time, I was so young, it was impossible to conceptualize how did they cope with this change. The first day they went to Mass and the priest was facing them and speaking English, how did that feel? And, and why, why did people choose to stay after that? Why don't we see more pushback against it? Was it a welcome change, or was it seen as subverting the faith that had been carried uh, through thousands of years and across countless nations? You know, uh, it's, it's a very paradoxical kind of thing for me. Yeah, and this is why, folks, you know, for my apostle, I use Fatima and La Salette as a foundation. But when I'm trying to bring forth opinions to the table, I always make sure as a foundation I'm using the early church fathers or I'm using uh, tradition because that's where you go wrong. When you, when you start deviating from how the early church fathers interpreted, this is where we get into big time trouble, uh, case in point, with the Protestants. And, you know, their kind of whole end game or end time narrative is completely different from uh, the true narrative that we have in the true religion, uh, which kind of leads up to my next question. You've got a pretty popular video there on your YouTube channel, creepy little book called false Pope in three days of darkness. I want to get your synopsis, w- what's entailed in it. And on your end with the people you're kind of uh, rubbing shoulders with, are you hearing more of more rumblings, if you will, that perhaps 
we'll see the three days of darkness in the not so distant future. Do you think? No, I hope. I certainly hope not. I don't want to be alive for the three days of darkness. Uh, that's not something I ever want to experience. Um, the idea essentially is that uh, there will be a chastisement. Uh, and there were several people throughout history who have predicted this. I believe the earliest was Hildegard of Bingen. Uh, and the idea is that uh, for three days, darkness will fall over the earth, and essentially all hell will be unleashed. And the only recourse during this time is to light a blessed, pure beeswax candle and pray the rosary for these three days. Uh, you cannot look out the windows. You cannot open the doors. Uh, because of the chaos that will be going on outdoors. Now, uh, from my understanding, demons will be loose upon the earth. They will pretend to use the voice of dead loved ones to try to lure you outside. They will kill and maim on sight anyone out in the street. Uh, this is a really, uh, you know, this is considered by, at least by the modern church, to be private revelation. It is not necessary for salvation to believe this uh, as far as the, the modern church is concerned. But it is a startling prophecy. Uh, it has been repeated over and over again by people who are considered saints, even within the Novus Ordo Church. It, is, uh, it really is a time of punishment. It is uh, supposed to be a means to turn people back to Christ prior to the, uh, the tribulation and the end times. It is a, a last chance, if you will, for many people. And uh, it is a horrible prospect. The idea, you know, think of... Uh, you know, I would say think of any zombie movie, think of monster movies where there's, you know, it's just like it is as close to the end of the world without being the end of the world. Three days of absolute darkness in, in both a literal sense and a, a figurative sense where darkness is unleashed upon the earth, where God removes his protection for those three days. Yeah, that's but I hope I don't mess- live to see it. Um, You know, it ties in with the message of Fatima, obviously, Father Malachi Martin, in uh, a statement that I captured from an old website that went down, starharbor.org, has a paragraph talking about this, and in it he mentions that the three days of darkness is actually spoken about by Our Lady in the actual words, which is being... Uh, withheld by the Vatican. It's also in La Salette. It's in the New Testament, of course, all of these uh, changes in the heavenly, so to speak. So in a certain loose sense, it does actually tie in uh, with revelation, with divine revelation. It's just a matter of your interpretation, basically. But yeah, the three days of darkness will basically, it will defeat the Antichrist and the New World Order. That's how we get out of this mess. You know, I find it somewhat comical, and I know other traditionalists, Peter, who think like, we're going to put together this great movement and organization. We're going to take the church back. It's like, have you read what the early church fathers said? They said we're going underground. It's the complete opposite. You know, we're going to be driven underground. The only way we're really getting out of this is through God's intervention. Um, so uh, I, I'm glad that, uh, you know, you mentioned all of that. What, what's, what's your take on the latest coming out of Francis, too, while we're at it? Uh, Francis is a, a strange figure, in my opinion. This this guy is he, he he's a heretic. Like I don't even know how else to put it. The man is a heretic and an apostate. Uh, he's an anti-pope. Uh, I I don't know how the conclave elected him. I'm I'm really well. You know what I do know how the conclave elected him. The church was usurped in the fifties, and you know it's been run by Satanists and Freemasons ever since. Like that's just that's really what it boils down to. Um, and you know. It's like, how did Benedict ever get on the throne in the face of, of, of this church? I don't know. 
But the way Benedict kind of resigns and then Borgoglio comes along, I just – I don't know. We, we – you know, I'm here in Philadelphia. We had the Pope come here to town, and it was like – it was ridiculous. I mean, there were so many people in the streets. It was just – it was insane. That, that, entire, that entire day was absolutely insane. Um, Did you go get an autograph, but, Peter? <laughs> no, no, I did not. I did not. I went nowhere near that part of the city. I was not about to deal with that headache. They had closed down so many streets and put up so many barricades. It was ridiculous. But I uh, yeah, I don't really. With him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's me and the Pope Mobile together again. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I I, I just I, I I think that there's men in the church still have good intentions. And will we see one of them ascend the throne after Borgoglio is gone? I, I'd hope so. I'd like to see perhaps, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with the mass being in English, but I wouldn't mind seeing a return to the use of, of Latin. I think that by using a religious, a specifically religious language, you kind of create a, a certain, uh, I don't know if environment is the right word, but a tone. You know, a tone that this is different, that this is reverent, that this isn't the, 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 the language of vulgarity, the language of the people, you know, that this is separate. This is a language of divinity. This creates an atmosphere of respect and of mystery. And at the, the core of Christianity, in all its sense, is the mystery of faith that, you know, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And they don't even say that at the mass anymore. Oh, it's a mass for the first time in 10 years. They don't say that anymore. Like when the time came to say it, I was like, where did that part go? Um, Peter, how, how far is Scranton from you? How far is Scranton? Scranton is about, about six hours. Uh, I did a report, and this was all over the news. I don't know if you saw this, but they had a Novus Ordo mass where the Easter Bunny showed up, Superman showed up, Batman showed up. It was full of uh, – uh, altar girls. I mean, it was just all out. I, I don't even know what I felt like. I was like watching a video game or something. I don't know if you saw that. I mean, it was in, it was in uh, Pennsylvania. I was just was curious wow. if you had seen that story. <laughs> well, I know that you had posted the picture of the deacon here in Philadelphia who put on the dog mask here at Mass. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, the you Eagles. Know, and I had mentioned the, the yeah yeah for the Eagles. And I had mentioned the last time we talked. Uh, you know, I was uh, now I was going to go to Mass one day. But it was right before the Eagles were going to the Super Bowl, so the church had decided to light everything up in green. And uh, now, of course, the vestments were green for ordinary time, but they were green candles all over the place, you know, green decorations, because it was going to be an Eagles mass. Every hymn was about Eagles. You know, um, look, I, I can see, you know, the intent behind that. And I don't think there's necessarily uh, malice behind it. I think that for a pastor who's trying to be creative, who's trying to get people in through the doors, because at the end of the day, for some of these pastors, it's a business, you know, like they've got to pack the pews. So I can see why the intent was there, but is it necessarily the most prudent thing to do? Is it necessarily appropriate? I would disagree with the idea that it is. But I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the world we live in now. I mean, you can see some of this footage and, and you had posted some stories with the Pope and he's got these weird circus performers in these like skin tight <laughs> revealing costumes, dancing and gyrating in front of them. It's just, yeah. uh, I mean, look, it's one thing if you, you know, if there's a, 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 some sense of modesty to it, like, right. I mean, if there's, if there's, uh, if there's, I don't know, even some kind of decorum, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. It's so bizarre. What's yeah, going on was, in the Vatican these days? 
the Vatican is a circus, folks. So we've been overrun by <laughs> Luciferians, by Freemasons. Uh, you know, they are embedded in Rome. Uh, they have no plan on uh, being removed. That's why I think a lot of these conservative type of cardinals, uh, perhaps who would agree with us silently, and my, my former spiritual director actually has told me this, uh, they will agree with what I have to say privately, but they won't they won't say what I say publicly because they, they basically feel fear, fear for their lives um, because of what's going on in Rome. Uh, now, we've only got about five minutes left, uh, Peter, so I want to give you two choices, two avenues to take here. Uh, because we don't have time to talk about both uh, areas. I wanted to give you the opportunity to either talk about what's going on in Antarctica and why that's important, your research there, and or if you've ever studied uh, Denver specifically, uh, being a, a Masonic town, the Denver airport, we know gets a lot of buzz, underground cities, that, of course, uh, being one of the cities uh, mentioned, uh, either or either avenue there, and then we'll we'll close out this particular segment. And uh, Well, let's, uh, we'll let's get into the Denver airport, because I would direct people to my YouTube channel to check out my content on Antarctica there. Uh, a lot of the Antarctica stuff is very interesting, uh, but to get into all of it here would be – I'd be going on forever. So uh, so I'd direct people to, to creepy little book on YouTube. But as far as Denver airport, I think Denver is a testing ground for the new world order to begin with. We saw Denver become the first, uh, it, you know, Colorado becomes the first state to legalize recreational drug use. Um, and I think that was for uh, experimentation purposes. Now we see the massive amount of profits that are being made there uh, just off of selling legal marijuana, which, I mean, look, if it, you know, nobody's really getting hurt, uh, you know, except for people in the car accidents and people who are neglecting their children because they're high and people who aren't working because they'd rather sit around on the couch and smoke bongs all day. So, you know, nobody's really getting hurt. But uh, at the same time, it's, is it good for society? Uh, and how long before they legalize heroin because we can't stigmatize the junkies? How long before they legalize cocaine? Because, well, you know, in small doses, it can help people more be more productive at work. You know, it, it's only a matter of time before that snowball picks up speed and, you know, things become more and more permissive. So how long before Denver legalizes prostitution? Uh, I think that if you do see legalized prostitution come to, uh, to Colorado, I, I would definitely keep an eye on that because it's a, it's, it is a place where they're going to permit more and more and become more and more permissive. Uh, they are creating, uh, I think, a stronghold there, and especially if you look at the Denver airport, the idea of these underground tunnels. There, there are very few places that are, that are as mysterious as the Denver airport. The symbolism, the bizarre murals, the strange dedication with Freemasonic symbols that cites an organization that doesn't necessarily exist, the bizarre statue of this you know, hell, hell horse. With his flaming eyes, yeah. you know, it, yeah, and I believe it actually killed a sculptor when it fell on him, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a true story. So, and 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 I also think of you know the Aurora, Colorado shooting at the movie theater. Aurora is, you know, it's just a suburb of Denver. It's about a half hour outside of Denver. You know, is this some kind of MK Ultra Illuminati, you know, mass sacrifice? Is that what occurred there? You know, I, I don't know. I I think that. Uh, Denver's uh, an, uh, an area that we keep an eye on. It is, of course, the Mile High City. It is, you know, this uh, city on top of a mountain. Uh, and, I, and I think about the biblical passages about the God of the high places, how these people would go up on these mountaintops and worship their pagan gods and build altars to these, you know, these beings that we would consider to be demons by all estimation and, you know, with our current understanding. 
But uh, but Denver is, especially the Denver airport, is, is definitely something to keep an eye on. And and it is it's a great mystery. And, you know, along those lines, there is a place in Missouri. It's just south of Springfield, Missouri. It's a fortress in the Ozarks. I believe it's called uh, Pensmore Manor or, or, no, Chateau Pensmore. That's what it's called. And this is a 72,000-square-foot concrete fortress, again, with secret underground tunnels. And who knows if there's, uh, you know, as far as I know, they could have an underground train that runs between Ozarks and Denver. You know, who knows what kind of extensive network of underground tunnels come out of the hub that is Denver Airport. You know, they had a perfectly good working airport that they scrapped to build this, you know, kind of -of out-of-the-way massive complex uh you know it's not like this is los angeles it's not like this is new york it's denver you know this isn't some big uh hub of commerce and culture it's denver it's uh but it's fortified you know it's a fortified place it's it's mountainous it's if coastal flooding were to occur on a massive scale let's say an earthquake hits california california sinks into the sea Let's say a hurricane hits, and we've seen hurricanes hit New York with uh, with Sandy. The subways were flooded, you know. So if great ecological disasters or if uh, attacks from other nations were to strike, they're not going to hit Denver. They're going to hit the eastern seaboard. They're going to hit Los Angeles. Uh, They're not going to attack Denver. And Denver, even if they are attacked, they're going to go underground. Um, I I think that, that that will be the capital of the new world order. If America was to fall apart tomorrow... And a new nation rose out of the ashes. Its capital would be in Denver. I don't have any doubt about that. Well said. We appreciate it, Peter, for you taking time out uh, to come onto the program. We'll have to get you back on uh, sometime either here in the late spring, early summer, to pick up on our conversation. Maybe get into Antarctica and some other current events uh, that will obviously – I mean, things are, are, are unraveling, as you mentioned, so fast. It's like, my goodness, after three days, we could probably talk for another – three hours on topics, but I just want to thank you for, for, for dialing in again, get to Peter's YouTube channel and subscribe. Creepy little book, a lot of great information there. And uh, Peter, uh, I look forward to chatting with you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You have a great one. All right. Take care now, Peter. All right, folks, we're going to take a break here in a moment. And on the other side of the break, I will have a full hour of open lines. We can discuss whatever you like, uh, whether it's any of the topics that Peter and I talked about this evening. If it's about the apostasy in the church, I will open up the lines to you for the last hour. But just as uh, to, to add to further to what Peter had said, the underground cities are very real. I've had Dr. Richard Souter on the show, very respectable, has written a book on the topic. I tried to get him back on the show actually for May to give an update, uh, but he politely declined at this uh, current moment. And he gives testimony uh, to these various underground cities, how they are interconnected. Uh, but then I also had on Nick Rossin, who is a well-respected investigative journalist out there in Europe who has a lot of influential people around him, billionaire friends, etc. And he's actually been inside them. He's seen them in Europe. So it's not just in the United States. They're in China. They're in Russia. They are in Europe. They're all over the place. And when you read the Protocols of Zion, shortly before all-out war happens, they said they would go underground. When they, when they said the West would wake up, this is when they said they would take to the underground and basically let all hell 
uh, break loose. And of course, we're talking about World War Three and the annihilation of nations as Fatima mentions. But then also we have to take into consideration the Earth changes. This binary system approaching us. It's not going to be safe to be on coastline uh, in coastlines. It's not going to be safe to be in major cities after martial law is declared. A lot of things to consider, folks. But all you need to know in the end is to keep the faith. That is the most important thing. Keep in a state of grace. Keep moving forward with Jesus Christ. Keep staying as close as you can to the sacraments. Again, as an eagle, we fly by the battle of what? Faith over fear. Flight over fright. We're going to take a brief break. Again, on the other side of the show, we're going to talk a little bit more about material heretics, more about the false traditionalists and what they're saying lately. And I want to handle any of your questions, get your comments, what's going on in your diocese, things that you're seeing with Francis. We'll do all of that on the other side of this break.
Folks, this is Eric Ajuski from Tradcat Night. Get to the website on a daily basis, tradcatnight.blogspot.com. For this final 50-something minutes or so, I'm opening up the lines to you uh, to ask any questions, uh, any of your comments, what you're seeing in the diocese, any of the topics that we covered tonight with Peter or just in general, uh, please weigh in. The number is 917 932 Eight six eight nine. And before I get into what I wanted to talk about, a topic I covered yesterday very briefly, this whole uh, area that ties in with the impotent humanitarianism of Vatican to this Unite to Cure conference that we just saw happen uh, the past three days. Uh, I want to uh, get to a caller. And so, caller, we got you on the line now. Did you have a question or did you want to weigh in on any of the topics we were talking about or just in general? You're on the air well, live. Both. Well, both, if that's all right. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, well, okay, so I guess I'll make some comments first. Uh, I love the guest. Uh, I don't have his name memorized yet, but I found out the creepy little book from your show, and I've been watching him on Saturday nights. He's, he's got a great show there. And, uh, you know, I'm a middle-aged Catholic, and uh, like a lot of Catholics, I'd say I'm uh, ignorant of uh, uh, my own religion, uh, um, like a lot of like a lot of Catholics tend to be. I think um, I have myself to blame for that. I do I do think though, uh, you know, the church didn't do a very good job post Vatican II of uh, of shepherding us and actually teaching us, uh, you know, our faith and teaching us, uh, you know, uh, Catholic doctrine and. Um, it, it kind of tied up with Vatican too, like what, what uh, the guests and, and a lot of things that you were saying, um, you know, I, I, you know, I think that you, with Catholicism, there's lots of ways to figure out that it's the truth and it is the truth. It's Christ is the truth and it is the one true church, the one true faith on earth, uh, the, the, the church that Christ founded. And there's a lot of ways to come to that conclusion. And I do think, you know, Christ, God, 
created us to be logical beings. And through logic, we can, you know, see that Catholicism is true. And um, with, with, with Vatican II, a lot of the stuff that uh, I hear people saying a lot, because uh, I listen to a lot of quote-unquote traditional Catholic uh, stuff, and I, you know, I have sure. people here locally that I they speak to, and you know, you know, there's a lot of talk of the Novus Ordo Church or, you know, the Vatican II Church, but there's one church, there's one church that Christ founded, and I think we need to just just as much as we need to fight for the church and fight off Satan that seems to have infiltrated the church, we need to not become separatists ourselves. So I guess that ties into my question. It's about Vatican II. With Vatican II, I've heard people say that it wasn't so much what Vatican II said. It was how it was implemented that's the problem. Now, it was sort of used by the, the, you know, the hippie kind of Marxist boomer generation that infiltrated the church that wanted to totally destroy everything. Uh, so I, and I've heard people say, well, if we're going to overturn Vatican II – well, then, you know, how, how can we say any council is legitimate? So I guess I would ask, what would you say to the idea that, uh, you know, it's problematic to say Vatican II as a whole is, is bad, needs to be thrown out, because if it's doctrine, if it's something the church said, this is the right way, well, then doesn't that open up the door to say, well, the Council of Trent was wrong, or, the, or this council was wrong, or that council was wrong? I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Well, first, I, I missed your name and where you're calling from first, so, so I can properly identify, uh, you know, who you are. What, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, it's uh, Seamus, and uh, I mean, I could t- I could lie to you and tell you something. I'd, I'd, I'd like to just not say. Well, it. just in, in general terms, you, are you calling like Northeast USA, South? You know, just I mean, you don't have to give me the city. Just yeah, 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 like uh, like like North Northeast. Okay, like Northeast USA. Okay, so Seamus. Okay, so. You know, backtracking here a second, you, you'll find that argument from what I deem, I call them false traditionalists or semi-traditionalists. Again, at this website, uh, we follow the model of Archbishop Lefebvre and Father Hess. We believe Archbishop Lefebvre was Saint Athen- the St. Athanasius of our times. Uh, we believe that that's the correct model and path to go, which unfortunately, from our perspective, like 90 plus percent of those who deem themselves traditionalists don't. Uh, they don't follow that route. And that's why I'm often hated, you know, in the media, because I have to call out these certain false traditions. The reality is with Vatican II, there is heresy in the council, one of which is religious liberty, which has been condemned by the church repeatedly. That's in the council. On the basis of that heresy alone, that makes that council, quote unquote, council null and void. Now, in terms of, uh, you know, what will essentially will have to happen, as Father has points out, is, it, you know, after we clear through this storm, there will be a pope. Uh, that will have to convene another council. And then at that council, they'll look back on this purported council and basically say it was null and void, just like they did like Pope Pius, I think it was the sixth, I can't recall if it was the sixth or the seventh, who vetoed, if you will, or ratified, made null and void uh, the Synod of Pistoia. Now, a lot of the same elements of Vatican II are found in that same synod, including uh, a new mass, if you will, or a vernacular mass, which was condemned by Pius VI. So a lot of these same principles were already in play during this synod, which was made null and void. It'll be similar with Vatican II. So when, you know, I often get this argument, well, that just means that the gates of hell have prevailed against the church. Well, no, it doesn't. Uh, there were a lot of commentators, a lot of esteemed theologians that said that we would basically go through another Arianism shortly before 
uh, the Antichrist would arrive. And this is what we're saying. With the revolt of Vatican II, that's what it is, the French Revolution in the Church, that was identified by Cardinal Sunins as such even. Archbishop of Febse uh, came up to that same conclusion. We now are on the verge of the Antichrist uh, showing up, in, in my opinion. If you follow this website, you, you know who I mentioned. Uh, but the, the bottom line is it doesn't mean that the gates of hell would prevail. We have to remember what Jesus said even during these like end times, if you want to say it. Like, in the end, who is going to keep the faith? Think ye not, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to paraphrase here, but essentially saying that few would keep the faith in the end. So when we say Vatican II Church or the conciliar church, what we're saying is it's a, it's a phony counterfeit church in the sense that what is being labeled as Catholic is not Catholic. Paul VI taught material heresy. All of them did. John Paul I even supported, you know, he was murdered, but I mean, he still followed the liberal thesis of Vatican II. Most people don't realize that. JP II taught material heresy. I mean, goodness, he was thrown out of college during his time. He was a universalist. I mean, we pick apart JP II, uh, and he was the main cheerleader behind the ecumenical movement uh, as well. He taught the heresy of, uh, you know, not converting back to the Catholic Church starting back in 1993 during the Bellamont Agreement. He told the Orthodox it's not necessary to come back to the Catholic faith, that it's outdated ecclesiology. That's heresy. There's no other way of, of, of labeling it. Uh, and so the bottom line is, is we are be, you know, people are being rerouted in this man-centered Novus Ordo religion, which is still being identified by the authorities as Catholic, but it's not. And that's basically what I'm going to get into here, Seamus, here in a second, because I just did an article on why we have to avoid churches teaching material heresy, because we're not being separatists by staying out of heretical churches, right? We wouldn't say St. Athanasius was a separatist, right, during his time when nine out of every ten bishops was a heretic, right? He didn't say go well, in I those buildings. Sure, go ahead. Can I ask you, can I ask you a question about – okay, so if – okay, so, so say Vatican II's heresy then okay then would the answer to be to stay out of those churches or would the answer be to stay and fight i mean it, it, this makes me think of and uh, i'm not very knowledgeable about this stuff these are sincere questions uh no, and i fine. really That's appreciate fine. the i really appreciate the answers i really appreciate it. you got a great show but what this makes me think about is uh, uh e michael jones um, he, I, I go to his Culture Wars website sometimes, and he wrote an article like I don't know, like twenty, thirty years ago, and um, in effect, it was a, it was a late. And I'm not anti SSPX. Uh, I'm not uh, 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 Mr. Lefe- uh, Father Lefebvre. I'm probably butchering his name. I, I know who he is. I respect the man sure. greatly, and, and I and I respect I respect that uh, that order. Uh, but but he wrote a uh, an article about. Uh, and it was it was it was a strongly worded article against the idea of separatism, which I know you said that's not what you're doing, but it, here's where I'm going with this. Um, and in it, he detailed a nun who uh, uh, she was the uh, child of a woman who had lived through Vatican II, had saw all the changes, and she just couldn't go along with it. And she got involved with, uh, uh, I believe it was the SSPX, and um, you, you know it, it, over the years. She started seeing things that she felt were uh, that were were, were were you know dangerous. Like uh, she was being told, uh, you know, not if you can't go to a to a Latin rite mass, don't go to mass. Well, that to me, that's that that seems that, that to me seems wicked to say something like that. 
And um, anyway, the, the, he, he, he talks in the article about St. Augustine, who dealt with his own uh, brand of uh, separatists during the, time, uh, during the day. Uh, they were people, uh, the, the Donatists, and they, want, they were people that felt that you had to be rebaptized if you were a person that gave incense to the emperor in Rome, something to that effect. Uh, anyway, what St. Augustine uh, and what is in this article that uh, Michael E. Jones talks about is that uh, basically St. Augustine makes the point that even if an evil man, you know, is, you know, gives you a sacrament, it's still a sacrament. So I, uh, you know, I get, I, I love the Latin, right? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, too old for it to have been like the normal thing, but I discovered it re- uh, a couple of years ago. And the first time I ever saw it, I was home. And I believe in it, and I believe that's the answer to solving the problems, not just in the church, but for the world, is, is, a, is a Latin Rite Mass. But, you know, uh, if you can't find a Latin Rite Mass, you should still go to church, right? So I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is uh, I, I guess that point that E. Michael Jones was talking about, you know, um, uh, you know quoting St. Augustine, if, some, if, if an evil man is committing heresy – uh, in the church, uh, you know, it's, it's the sacraments are still valid. God is still there. The Eucharist is still valid. So shouldn't we stay in the churches and fight in the churches? Um, just because. Well, I, what I was going to say is first, I, I haven't I haven't read the article personally. I mean, me, this is me speaking. I deem E. Michael Jones as a false traditionalist. I mean, I told that to him publicly uh, on his, you know, to his face via email. When we first, when I first started bringing him on the show, I said, I'm not interested in your theology. And he, he agreed, you know, still to come on the show. So I would de- very much put him on, you know, in the wrong category. But again, when we're speaking about heresy, you would have to tell me, where does the church teach in any case that you can attend a church teaching heresy? If heresy is the worst sin, which it is, by the way, heresy is worse than rape and murder put together. And most people don't take doctrine seriously enough to, to know and understand that. I mean, back in the old times and medieval times, they burnt people at the stake for teaching heresy, right? Because you're killing not only the body, uh, but the soul. I mean, you're killing the soul first, ultimately uh, the body in that sense. So that's why, you know, in those times they actually burnt, you know, people alive. The, the, the church would hand over to the state a heretic. They would be burnt. We don't, we obviously don't take heresy seriously anymore. So the problem is just as, or I can summarize it like this, uh, Seamus, Again, what did St. Athanasius say? They have the buildings. We have the faith. So we have to qualify, are the Vatican tours keeping the faith? And the answer is no. If they're not keeping the Catholic faith, then why, why are you still going there? Uh, and, another, and I would add you know, the argument to this. The Russian and Greek Orthodox Church have valid sacraments. I can easily refute E. Michael Jones. The Russian and Greek Orthodox have valid sacraments. Why don't you, Seamus, go to the Russian or Greek Orthodox churches? Or you, sh- you should know that they're heretics and schismatics, right? Well, that's our argument con- concerning the conciliar church. It's a phony bo- baloney, uh, Freemasonic, man-centered religion, which is building up towards this, this uh, you know, antichrist and, and false prophet figure, which could possibly arrive in the next two to three years. They have the buildings. We have the faith. The only thing that we can do at this point is to continue to please Jesus by not communing with those open destroyers of the church. That's what Archbishop Lefebvre said. So it ultimately comes down to keeping the faith, keeping Jesus happy, because Jesus isn't happy with these churches. Again, people often just use that argument, well, something's valid, therefore I can go there. No. Again, the Russian and Greek Orthodox Church, use that example. You can't go there, right? Right. <laughs> even though they have a valid priesthood 
and valid sacraments, the same applies to the conciliar church. In fact, I would argue it's much worse. I mean, the Orthodox are keeping much more of the faith intact than the Novus Ordo Church. It's far worse than the Novus Ordo Church. And for, to further that argument, I would say this. If you, if you don't have a uh, Catholic Mass, we have to know it you know, or, or have sacraments. And by the way, canon law covers in cases of emergency, you could still utilize the Novus Ordo sacraments, i.e. like on your deathbed and uh, in, in, in extreme cases, if you will. Uh, I, I, re- I refer to Father Hess, Father Hess's talks on my YouTube channel for, for further on that. Um, but, you know, the, the bottom line is, is this, this is not going to get turned around by us, you know, by me going into the, you know, the Novus Ordo churches tomorrow. Because I'll add another point to the shame is, guess what? I do that. You know how many arguments I get into with, well, again, I'll just deem them, I'll, I'll put them as semi-traditionalist so I don't feel like I'm, I'm being too offensive here. I go in there and I try to speak sense with these people and they don't want to hear it on doctrine. I go into the Novus Ordo church and try to do that. They'll rip up my material and throw it out. There's nothing in church teaching that says we can be in heretical churches. So his whole notion of, well, just, you know, he's evil. And, and if we're qualifying evil as something outside of heresy, that's fine. I mean, that's true. But when we're dealing with heresy, we're, we're talking about something altogether different. Because the Novus Ordo faith, is, it's not the Catholic faith. And the, the, the foundation was laid down at Vatican II for this man-centered religion. And ultimately, it's going to be solidified with the false prophet coming onto the scene, uh, with these, the, the new self-realization program he's going to implement. It's going to get far worse with Francis. I don't know if you heard me earlier in the show say this, but there will be intercommunion uh, amongst, uh, with, with Protestants and quote-unquote Catholics. Eventually, the abomination of desolation will be set up in Christian churches. They'll remove the tabernacle altogether. They'll set up Maitreya's image and get... This, you know, the, the interfaith movement that you're seeing now budding in the conciliar church, that's going to go full blown. I mean, it's going to go full blown in every diocese. So it's what I'm saying is it's only going to get worse. And so in my recent article, I'm going to talk about this here, you know, uh, after I handle your phone call, but then another one uh, is talking about how I liken the conciliar churches. And I, I say this very adamantly. It's like a porn shop in the sense it has illicit doctrines. And if we take doctrine seriously and we go into one of these churches and the priest isn't keeping the faith and you go and you start talking to people and they're, they're talking all kinds of heresies and this, that rubs off on you. You see what I'm saying? You're going to become impure in that loose sense of you're going to pick up those doctrines and think that these people are okay. Well, they're not. And so that's what we're, what we're saying. We can't commune with these individuals who are not keeping the faith. So by staying out of those buildings, we're not, we don't have a schismatic attitude, as Bishop Fillet is saying, just like St. Athanasius did it. And I would argue it's this is far worse than, than, than the Aryan crisis because we're dealing with modernism now. Now we're dealing with heresy upon heresy. It's not just one heresy. I mean, goodness, there's, you know, there's numerous heresies in Vatican II, but extending onward with all of the popes. They've all, in the very least, taught material heresy. One can make the argument that Francis is a, a formal heretic even. Um, but, you know, the, the bottom line, it, it's dangerous to your faith. It's poisonous, it, it, you know. And if you, you know, this is where it, you know, it gets into the conversation, Seamus, of like where you're at. Like you got to put in an awful lot of time, in my opinion, to arrive at my perspective. Like, you know, it's not going to happen in a couple months, even. I mean, you really got to dig down deep. You got to do your research on the Freemasonic sect. You got to study what you know pre-Vatican II popes have taught. Then, then obviously come back to what the Conciliar Church is saying. And then uh, my final argument, Seamus, is this: the trend is we're going underground. 
again, this, this, this kind of notion, which is silly to me, that people are like, hey, let's get back in the conciliar church. Let's fight. Like, we're going underground. Like, we're just years away from the great persecution where churches are going to be shut down. So I just tell people, you better get used to not having a priest around. And I say that very adamantly. It's sad to say, but that's what the early church fathers said. All those signs are here, and you're going to be very blessed uh, if you do even have uh, a priest in your locale who is like not following Vatican II, who's orthodox. Uh, but we will survive. You, you get grace outside of the church. God is not uh, bound by the sacraments, right? St. Augustine and St. Thomas uh, teach. You still get grace through the Blessed Virgin Mary, through the church herself. You still sanctify the Sunday. That doesn't mean you just you give up, you do nothing. I, I would say you should start amping it up with fasting. You start amping up your prayer life. You start going all out. I mean, you should be doing this regardless until you can get to a proper church. Do you think that the people in China right now, and the, the church essentially is underground in China, do you think those people receive sacraments on a weekly basis, a monthly basis? They don't. I mean, some of them can only get to sacraments maybe every you know three to six months. So that's all I'm saying is, you know, if, if we're going to be principally based people as we should as Catholics, and we're trying to keep Jesus happy, right, we're trying to please him, and if you see the Novus Ordo as a different faith, then I don't understand why you, why you would be in that church, which from our perspective is simply stabbing our Lord in the back. I mean, that's, that's how we see it. You're, I mean, you're, you're communing with open destroyers of the faith. Whether they're, they're ignorant or not, that's, that's what I'm going to get into here in a, in a minute, Seamus. So uh, hang tight here. And I appreciate you uh, calling in, uh, by the way, Seamus. Uh, great, great question. And, and again, I'm, I'm not subjectively judging anyone out there. I mean, it was a process for me. It's going to be a process for Seamus. You know, and I'm glad that he stuck his neck out and asked the questions that he did. But as you know, this is basically – the kind of argument and fight that goes along between us hardline traditionalists and what I will just label semi-traditionalists. We see it as people who continue to stay in those churches as stabbing our Lord in the back. And ultimately in the end, they're not going to make any segue. They're not going to, you know, bring the church back to our glory day. No folks, we're about to go underground. And uh, I, I, from my perspective, I believe Archbishop Lefebvre laid down that foundation and that path. Um, Father Hess uh, included. I'll throw my former spiritual director in there, Father Kramer, as well. Uh, you can't be in any church teaching heresy materially or formally. I'm going to pick up another uh, caller here. Caller, if I could get your name and just where you're from and you know your questions, comments, uh, and uh, I'll take it from there. That's me? Yeah, you're on. Okay. Uh, Victor, and uh, I'd rather not say where I am. That's okay. Sure. That's fine. Very cagey person. Uh, first question, uh, are you a priest or are you part of the Catholic Church at all in any, am I, any way? Am I a priest? Do you mean a clergyman? No, I'm not a clergyman. Okay. Uh, well, I guess secondly, as far as what you're saying, why would anyone join the current incarnation of the church, the Holy See? Uh, some people could think that it's, you know, the only, well, not the only game in town, it's the only game in town, since it wiped out all its uh, pretty much other competition over the you know, 200 years that it's been around and, you know, kind of marched its way through Europe. And there's also the other problem of, uh, you know, socialism as well as, uh, you know, Islam, which are kind of pretty big uh, 
outside threats as it is. So that could be a reason. Uh, I, I missed your point there. You're breaking up a little bit. You're saying p- people would stay out of uh, what the church is teaching because of the socialist teachings that are going on. No, that's, that's no, no. What I'm saying is, uh, you know, people might think to join it because there are kind of other outside threats to, uh, you know, Western civilization is what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Not, not really. Uh, you have to elaborate a no. little bit more. Well, I mean, there are other forces, you know, Islam is kind of still growing and, uh, you know, eating everything in its path. Oh, well, okay. You know, yeah. there yeah, are, yeah. Uh, there are, you know, like people who are kind of more upper class trying to push socialism, which is, sure. you know, eventually can turn into communism, which is one of the greatest evils this earth has ever seen. So, you know, I mean, it's, I, I guess maybe more the devil, you know. Uh, yeah, no. You know, comparatively speaking, you know, yeah, better no than, than Secondly, why you know, if you want to, or well, I, I guess it's because you you think the end is coming, and you know, to be fair, could be it could be. I don't you know, I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything, as, as far as I know. So you know, the end could be coming. The apocalypse could be coming. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'd rather like try and go into it and see what the hell is actually going on. Cause if you're on the outside, as far as I'm concerned, you don't have all the information. What, what do you think on that? Does it make any sense what I just said, or was it just rambling? Well, well, several points. I mean, obviously uh, as a Catholic and you know, I hate to use the word traditional Catholic, we, you know, I have to use that to differentiate between, you know, it's really just saying what a real Catholic is these days. And again, I'm not, uh, subjectively judging anyone following Vatican II teaching, we can't do that. The Church infallibly teaches we can't judge the interior nation, uh, interior nature of what's going on inside another. But on that surface level, we have to differentiate that we are indeed. It's a completely different religion that's being. It's bogus. It's being passed off as Catholic. It isn't, and it's rerouting souls basically into the one world religion of the apocalypse. So in terms of the apocalypse, we're, we're in the apocalypse. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, mm-hmm. Father Malachi Martin alluded to this. Uh, Sister Lucia, who wrote down the real third secret of Fatima, presented this to her bishop of the time and said, it, you know, it's right there, Father. It's, we're, we're living out the apocalypse. And she mentioned, I think it was Apocalypse 6 through 12. So, you know, and then anyone who's followed my apostle, I'm not sure how, how long you followed it, but I bring up all types of examples utilizing current events, how we are living in those times, you know, Matthew 24, Luke 21. Um, distress of nations, uh, you know, all the various, you know, signs in, in the skies and, and all that kind of piecing it together, you know, mark of the beast technology. I mean, all, all these signs are here, really. It's just it's very difficult to say out loud because you don't want to be labeled a nutter, basically. Um, but, you know, I don't know if that answers your, your question, Joe, but, you know, against we adamantly stand against Islam. Oh, there's no question about it. But not only Islam, but Zionism as well. I mean, Islam and Zionism are both heresies from a Catholic perspective. And. I'm not telling anyone out there not to defend yourself. You have to defend yourself. The Catholic Church stands behind your right, the Second Amendment, basically, to defend yourself, your family. We should be able to defend our nation. Unfortunately, as I presented, I, you know, I, I make the argument we're a Masonic nation. We've never been a Christian nation. Uh, and we're basically Israel's puppet being dragged throughout the Middle East, you know, creating and starting wars for them. Uh, but the bottom line is, is we have a right to defend our nation, a right to defend Christendom in general. Hence what you mentioned earlier with 
the Crusades. Um, so Jesus mentioned in uh, the New Testament that there would be kingdom versus kingdom, you know, Christianity yes, versus Christianity versus Islam. I mean, it's coming. And you already see that brewing in, in Europe. I mean, you see the people just being fed up with what's going on with the, the immigration uh, agenda, uh, Victor. Uh, I'm sure you see that on a daily basis. I mean, I use resources such as Voice of Europe to demonstrate that. I mean, Britain, Germany's being overrun. Sweden, the rape rates are up. I mean, it's getting nuts out there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. They're getting they're getting eaten alive. Yeah. Well, that, that's just. I think my main thing, and I re- I realize. I mean, you clearly have done you know a lot of homework, but uh, you know, my thing is until I can you know see it with myself, I don't. No, and sure. just uh, my reasoning is unless I or, or someone was inside the uh, the organization of the Vatican or the government or something like that, they wouldn't know everything that was going on. They might have a good idea and they might be right, but they wouldn't, you know, have, you know, they wouldn't have someone inside the organization saying, okay, this is what we're doing. And that's just what I'm trying to get at. Also, sure. Uh, my thought is, uh, if there's a Vatican, t- if things can change in the church, they they can damn well change again, you know. Oh, it I mean, will be. For goodness yeah. sakes, this only happened like uh, God, less than a hundred years ago. My grandmother was alive, and it's still alive before Vatican II. You know. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's only been like less than a hundred years. Things could change again. Yeah, just, it's going it was to just people to do it. Yeah, the try, trying for the Immaculate Heart. Where I think people go wrong, though, is and what I was trying to point out to the previous caller, Seamus, is, is that a lot of people seem to think by, you know, kind of integrating themselves back into the quote-unquote mainstream Catholic Church that somehow through that level, if you will, on the natural level, that they're going to, you know, basically combat Vatican II and the modernist heritage, and, it, and it's not going to happen. This uh, is why God has— never work. You've got to look what the enemy is doing. You've got to look what uh, the people who have, you know, rotted our government from the inside and taken over— uh, you know, all the uh, vectors of entertainment and literature, sure. you've got to chew your way in. You've got to do it from the inside. From the outside, it's impregnable, you know, pretty much. I yeah, mean, you uh, could, you know, go full bore, but you've got to go inside. That's That really does seem like the only option unless you're going just full out, and uh, that, that'd that be impossible. The forces arrayed are too, too great by every magnitude. Yeah, and that's why I mentioned, uh, you know, as the early church fathers warned, the Catholic Church would go underground essentially during our times. No doubt we're on the verge of this great persecution. I think everyone can see it. The attack of Christianity is happening, you know, all over this country. It's happening, of course, in Europe as well. Um, They know very well what they're doing. They will seek to exterminate us at a certain point, as the apocalypse mentioned. You know, there's FEMA camps that got their guillotine set up. That's not conspiratorial talk. That's real. Um, they're well, they're going yeah, to seek I, to get I'm rid just, of. Well, yeah, okay. So your your plan is just to go underground, wait it out. That's well, no, again, I, I'm not saying not to fight back. You should fight back. And again, I stand behind. The, I'm just saying people who are hoping that on the on the natural level that there's going to be some type of massive crusade or something that's just going to overtake the Antichrist. And it's not happening. Because that's not how it, that's not the could pl- if people worked at it if they actually not hoped but did something about it. There's a they could try and make it happen. That's all they I'm could saying. Try to, they could try to make they it happen. Try. With, 
Scripture is very clear that it's God who defeats the Antichrist in the New World Order. That's why I cover that particular aspect of my apostolate uh, concerning this binary system approaching us, which, uh, you know, basically there's there's a greater power above our head, as Father Malachi Martin put it, and the enemy will be shaken up. You know, in the end that the Antichrist during the three days of darkness is going to be swallowed up along with three-fourths of the world uh, uh, during those three days. And that's how the New World Order gets defeated. But again, yeah, I'm not saying not be proactive. Uh, I mean, anyone who knows me knows I'm not proactive. I mean, I'm going to stick my neck neck out wherever I can. I'm just saying even if we do get organized, and I'm not saying not to get organized, but I'm saying even if we do, the end result of that when we when we follow what Scripture says is that it's God. I mean, this victory is for God in the end through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hence, why as Catholics we're promoting the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, because that what you said is we could get it back. We are going to get it back, but it's going to happen on the other side of the three days of darkness after God gets rid of He clears the board, so to speak, and three fourths of humanity is not here. That that's how that's how it will play out uh, from my perspective. Uh, Rome is going to be destroyed uh, per the apocalypse. I mean, the Catholic Church, Aww. the papacy, the, the Catholic Church is going to uh, move uh, again. Uh, you know, the, the one world religion will be established under the false prophet here in Rome. The Catholic Church won't, you know, the home base, if you will, won't even be in Rome here soon. I would dare argue over the next three to five years. So that's why you got to pay attention to Pope Benedict XVI and him fleeing of Rome. We do believe he's the end time uh, Pope of Rome to flee. But I appreciate you weighing in tonight, Victor. Please, uh, you know, don't hesitate in in, in future episodes to kind of chime in. And uh, I really do appreciate you calling tonight, sir. Uh, But I do have another person on the line here, and I didn't even get into my my article yet. The lines are really buzzing, and this is good. I want to bring on another uh, caller here. Uh, Go ahead. You're on the air. I have to make it somewhat quick because I, w- I want to talk about material heresy here uh, in a second right. and, and get to my article. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks, first of all, for taking my call, Eric. Uh, it's John from uh, Toronto here. Um, my question is really just about a – well, it's about Fatima and the third secret of Fatima, which, uh, to the best of my knowledge, has not been released by the Vatican uh, officially. But there is a – a uh, text of the third secret, which was released, I think in 2010. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it was disseminated, but it was, um, there, there was a Spanish graphologist who did confirm that the handwriting um, was sister Lucy's. And it also bears uh, several other similarities to what we know of the third secret of Fatima. Um, for example, it has 25 lines, um, it's written on one sheet of paper and, and so forth. And there was a someone who I've actually not been able to identify as yet who did a, not a translation of it, but he thought it had been altered by some kind of non-electronic um, Photoshop, you know, to put it in layman's terms. And so what my question is, so this uh, third secret, uh, if, if you will, that we have, the uh, translated or rather untranslated version that this um, individual provided us with, like what's our stance on that? Like, because it, it does have some very, um, shall we say gripping messages in it, which um, are related to Fatima. So it's like, so what's, what's our stance on this? Like, do we, can we consider it as the third secret or do we have to say, like we have to disregard it because we can't prove it is the third secret or the words of our lady. Like what's our, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I think you're actually referring to, I think Tradition in Action recently published something on that within the past six months. Again, if I'm not mistaken, you correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I haven't heard like any official stance from Father Kramer on it. I, you know, there've been other pundits to kind of weigh in on it. I, I honestly don't know, John. I can't really, you know, I don't know if it is real or if it's dubious basically, but what I can say is, and I try to reiterate what father Martin actually recanted from the real words from what's being withheld by the Vatican of the real third secret of Fatima. And again, I stole this from his website because I knew they were going to take it down. It was from starharbor.org, which you can't find anymore, but this is literally father Malachi Martin's words in terms of just uh, at least an aspect of the, uh, the third secret of Fatima. We of course know it relates to our faith in the end, danger to the faith, ongoing apostasy, this one world religion coming. Uh, but he says, because Fatima is a very apocalyptic message, it says that no matter what, there's going to be terrible wars, there are going to be diseases, whole nations are going to be wiped out, there are going to be three days of darkness, there are going to be epidemics which will wipe out whole nations overnight. That's why I cover you know, the bioterrorist uh, elements uh, on the, uh, the website. He says, parts of the earth will be washed away at sea, violent tornadoes and storm. It's not a nice message at all. So it indeed ties in with very apocalyptic you know uh, events if you will uh and but it doesn't make mention in this specific quote in terms of you know the danger to the faith you know obviously vatican II changes in the liturgy things along those lines uh again i don't know uh i i've heard some just from within the resistance community you know just other people who kind of looked at it who think that it's it's not real or it's not authentic but i i don't know you know, I, I mean, I think we should know fundamentally what it is, right, John? I mean, we know it deals with apostasy in the church, and we know all hell's about to break loose, you know, with natural disasters, basically. I mean, that's it's really two parts, it, it, from my perspective. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely, but, absolutely. I mean, like, the only uh, real, like, kind of concern I have is really how little uh, attention is being paid to, like, first of all, the message of Fatima, and then the as yet again officially unreleased uh portion of the third secret of fatima which was of course the life's work of uh, uh father gruner of the uh the fatima center and i mean the fact that like his death of course um i should say his untimely death was like a big blow to that uh to that movement of trying to get the third secret released but um i mean god's plan is of course uh, not known to us fully so uh, we, we have to acquiesce to his wisdom of course Absolutely, John. Well, I appreciate you um, chiming in tonight. A uh, very uh, valid question, of course. Uh, again, if you you want to try to find that particular article, I think if you just Google search like Tradition in Action, Third Secret of Fatima, you'll probably be able to find a good, decent amount of material. But I think they actually will post a picture of it as well, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me uh, correct. But there's been an awful lot of people over time who would chime in and call Father Malachi Martin and they would have a go at it, and he would say, well, there's elements that are right, there are elements that are not, uh, you know, in the actual text that he read. I can also just add, he was very adamant that we are in apostasy now, a general apostasy, and he said, unless that we recognize that we're in a general apostasy, the third, make, the third secret makes no sense because the buildings, right, conciliar buildings, essentially we become null and void. It means there'll be no aspect of Catholicism in it because again we're transitioning from uh, Vatican II which we would say as hardline traditionalists is material heresy right it's on the service level it's being pitched as Catholic we know it's not really Catholic it's gutted out basically but then when this false prophet guy shows up 
uh, and he's got his whole new slew of, uh, you know, quote unquote sacraments and the self-realization program. Uh, this, this ties in with what I was saying earlier, John, uh, you know, that there'll be a great persecutions, the, the churches will be gutted out, priests will be massacred, and essentially those buildings will be taken over by the false prophet, you know, and his minions. And this, this is where the one world religion comes into play, essentially, and we, we get driven underground. So I, I think we're kind of seeing all that converging to some degree. Um, but I do appreciate you uh, calling in, John. What I'm going to do now, uh, folks, is I wanted to, if I could get to because i've only got about 15 minutes here i just wanted to point this out listen you know within the traditional community there's a lot of fighting going on i mean goodness there's even fighting going on in the quote-unquote resistance again i just identify myself as a catholic if i disagree with bishop williamson on one point i'll let you know if i disagree with father fight for one point i'll let you know if i disagree with father kramer on one point i'll let you know we, we all just don't really agree or or anyone else for that matter as i mentioned you know i you know, with E. Michael Jones, I, you know, I was very upfront with him. I said, I don't, I don't want to hear any of his theology because I think it's very poor. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, one Peter five is another website out there, you know, trying to attack me, call me crazy, this or that. And as I mentioned, I went to school at Scocheck and, um, you know, for him to be calling anyone crazy, I think is, is a far stretch, uh, considering he was more, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a charitable word here, but at least the people I went with, <laughs> Didn't think he necessarily fit in, I guess is is the best word. Uh, but again, I've been trying to tell everyone, uh, you know, with these false traditionalists like Skocek and 1 Peter 5, they don't have a proper perspective. They oftentimes sit on the fence, so to speak. And, and recently he put out an article, and I don't go to his website often, but I'll maybe check it once a week, just so I can demonstrate and show you how they're not true traditionalists. And essentially, he was calling for people to go to this one massive archbishop sample out in Portland. You know, he was he's saying how, you know, EWTN was going to be there. And so my point is, is you'll see of the false right crowd, because that's what we have here. We have like the uber liberal types. And then we have got the false right crowd who are still to some degree clinging to the council, uh, maybe not outrightly heretical, all of them per se, but certainly by in who they are supporting, it becomes very clear that they're not true traditionalists. Now, how 1 Peter 5 been a truly traditionalist website, which is not it's a Neocat website, uh, they wouldn't be promoting and endorsing such prelates like this in the church. Again, as I mentioned, Skojek in this one particular art- article even mentioned with exuberance that EWTN would televise the meeting of this uh, event between all of these material heretics. And again, this is what I'm talking about. The false tribes really love to straddle the fence at times. Uh, you know, of course, you know, a lot of them just basically will run away. And again, I'm, I'm not subjectively judging any of them, but in, in types, in terms of getting some type of, um, how do I put this? They'll essentially run to the whole crazy Carter ad hominem attacks before even trying to theologically debate intelligently. I found this out very clearly when I was inside the Neo SSPX and just listening to them talk. Uh, about more hardline people who are trying to follow really what Archbishop Lefebvre taught and uh, Father has taught. And I had an encounter with Michael Staystack, who is, you know, kind of running his mouth online. I talked to him for 10 minutes, and after I proved him wrong, he didn't want to answer a certain question. He ran to the whole, you know, your crazy card, take your medicine. This is what they have to do. So uh, they're not nearly as brilliant as they think uh, theologically. But the bottom line is with this one particular Archbishop sample, uh, here is an archbishop who doesn't even stand up against 
Francis's latest apostolic exhortation. He says this specifically. This is a quote of his. I am a complete product of the Second Vatican Council. That period of renewal. Let me say that again. The Second Vatican Council, the period of renewal in the church is a part of who I am. And here, this is who people like Skocek get behind, telling other people to go to these uh, churches which are in heresy. Again, it just doesn't fly. They don't constitute any type of real counter-revolution, nor are they true traditionalists. And hence why I wrote the article with the last 10 minutes uh, that I have here in relation to uh, material heresy, um, which I just did. Oh, goodness, it was just two days ago. So Archbishop of Feb and Father has made this very clear that the material heretic is poisonous to your faith, regardless of what degree of ignorance he might be found in. I'm going to try to speak as best I can in layman's terms for those who are truly confused. We're obviously not all doctors of the church, uh, so we try to do our best to keep it in layman's terms. Uh, but there are some right now who are completely distorting the true notion of what a material heretic is because they are using false interpretation of modern theologians and some actually more respected theologians who even got this point wrong, such as Cardinal uh, Below. And I know Sauls and Cisco, uh, you know, in my opinion, who are false trads, um, you know, are using this to purport their modern day erroneous opinions uh, under the topic of heretic pope, if you will. Uh, and I left uh, an article. It's actually going to be coming out as a part of Father Kramer's whole publication to dismiss the more modern day notion or understanding of a material heretic. We have to have the proper and true understanding uh, of what it is. Uh, but nevertheless, we've only got about 10 minutes here, if that. So I got to kind of cruise along here. Um, so it's quite clear, my friends, that, uh, from Catholic teaching that we know that the obstinate heretic must be avoided, hence a Protestantism, you know, Protestant who's in a denominational Protestant sect, if if you will. But what about the heretic, in this case, implication of material heretic, who believes what he is following is Catholic, yet it truly is not. You see the false traditionalists of our times, the one Peter fives, and yes, I'm going to throw the remnant in there. I'm going to throw Neo-SSPX, CFN, Fatima Center of Canada. As you know, there was a split there. They're all kind of moving in a more liberal direction. Uh, and uh, pushing that aside, uh, we see in this area, they're, they're getting this area wrong. And again, I think this is why people like Seamus go wrong. I think they're spending too much time on those websites as opposed to staying here. Because again, we believe that Archbishop of Feb uh, was our guiding star, if you will. Heresy in general is poison and is offensive to God, right? Obstinate heretics who willfully teach against what the church has already taught and foul, we not only commit mortal sin, but they sever themselves from the body of Christ. But what about that material heretic who in blindness teaches something to be Catholic when it is not due to some level of ignorance? Now, this is an area, folks, I'm going to get into more with Father Kramer uh, towards the end. I think it's like May 23rd. He's going to come back on the show. We want to talk about this more in detail. Um, but the bottom line is I want to handle some attempted refutations, provide some further analysis in uh, this worst crisis the church has ever seen. Now, first, consider how the material heretic is poisonous, objectively speaking, even though he might not be severed from the body of Christ interiorly, right, due to invincible ignorance, in-house question of him teaching heresy. That doesn't mean that a Catholic, in full knowledge of knowing that he's teaching a heresy and or heresies, that he can now commune with those individuals. Nor does it mean, folks, that it is prudent to be around these folks a lot. 
The material heretic is still in error and is still leading others astray by his heresy. Objectively speaking, he's to be avoided. He should be avoided, lest by rubbing shoulders with this type, you become victim to his false teaching, right? The sin of human respect. Based upon the people you're kind of rubbing shoulders with on a daily basis, if you're if you're not a principle first person, if you're not a doctrine first person, you may start thinking that this person isn't so bad. And again, on the theological level, and that's all we're concerned with, with salvation, right? Is faith, do, you know, is salvation in the end? We know this from Scripture. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who are not keeping the true faith, objectively speaking, it becomes dangerous. Now, some will argue that's too extreme. We can make an impact by constant dialogue and rubbing shoulders with them. I argue false. Take a look at what the new SSPX has been doing now for decades with the material heretics inside the conciliar church. They've been rubbing shoulders in all these various movements and meetings in Rome, and now they see the Cardinal Burke types and other conservative types as not being that bad anymore. Heck, you'll even see some of, uh, you know, posting of Cardinal Burke's material up on their website, but they're never going to address his material heresies anymore. They've been swimming in the, in the false trad shark tank for too long, and now they've loosened their position. This is a fact. It's not open for debate anymore because they now see Vatican II as a legit Catholic council. Yes, that was not Archbishop Lefebvre's position. One priest in the society even accused resistant type people of being too principally orientated. Can you believe that? God forbid. And this is the type of compromise that we're seeing. This is how we can now equate it to uh, the message of Akita, where it talked about all of this compromise going in, uh, you know, going on in the church. Does the, let me ask you this question. Does the man who goes into the porn shop for even five minutes think he will come out pure? The same applies to the conciliar church in general. Why? Because they have impure doctrines. They're going to rub off on you over time, and to say otherwise is highly delusional and prudent. Maybe, maybe you go into the porn shop for five minutes with your eyes closed. You do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You're going to be you're going to be tempted in curiosity to start opening your eyes. You keep rubbing shoulders, and the impure doctrines will start rubbing off on you. Yes, people smile. They are nice. Right in the conciliar church, but so are a lot of denominational Protestants. Now, what about avoiding material heretics? The Aryan crisis and other situations show us that it is prudent to avoid not only formerly heretical churches, but churches that were deemed to be impious and or just compromising in general. When I did my research on this to refute some of Saul's and Cisco's uh, arguments that they were trying to make, uh, the early church fathers like St. Basil recorded and lamented overseeing so many of the faithful, avoiding such churches that were compromising and were impious. I'm not talking even about heresy. Now, the Catholic Church, in retrospect, never condemned these individuals. So don't dare point the finger at individuals who won't go into, uh, you know, buildings, you know, Vatican II buildings, or even uh, those in the resistance who think that the new SSPX is compromising. Don't do that, because you don't have a leg to stand on. St. Basil would argue against you. The church had never come down and, and formally condemned these people for doing as such. Uh, but the bottom line is the same thus applies to those teaching uh, material heresy. The fundamental question of do Novus Ordo churches please God has to be asked, as I, as I mentioned to Seamus. The answer is a resounding no on the objective level. 
just because a mass is valid is not a valid argument to be communing with the porn shops of our times with their illicit doctrines. I can actually remember the last time I sat in a Novus Ordo church where I knew God and, the, you know, the Holy Spirit was working. And he's like, you know, I just kept hearing in church, like, you know, why are you here? Why are you here? And the priest up, you know, up at the pulpit was just spouting heresy after heresy on how great the Jews were. And I mean, it was just like one heresy after another. I literally got up and I couldn't take it anymore. This is what we're talking about. We can't be seduced by the porn shops of our time. Now, clearly, Philae fell asleep during what Archbishop Lefebvre had to say in his teachings because he clearly taught that to re-enter an unconverted Rome would be catastrophic to the faith of those attempting to try and reintegrate back into these mainstream churches. He said, superiors make the inferiors, not the other way around. This is one of Philae's failures because he sees it differently. The false trads are in abundance these days, and for the most part, you can't really talk to them. They're pretty much cemented in what they have to say, and they're just going to move forward. And it's going to crash and burn. Like I said, the church is going underground. They're not going to, they're not going to make any segue with that movement. They unfortunately see Burke like we see Archbishop Lefebvre, yet it was Archbishop Lefebvre who said Burke, the Burke types, if you will, were poisonous. As Cardinal Odie said, Vatican II was the revolution in the church predicted by the third Secret, as Second Thessalonians 2, 3 says, let no man deceive you by any means, for unless there comes a revolt, and then the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, then we know it's end time, it's end game. And again, Antichrist Maitreya is not too far away. So in the very least, we're dealing with material heresy, folks. We have to keep in mind, it's far worse than that in some instances. We could be dealing with formal heresy. We could be dealing with apostate uh, priests. I think, again, the argument could be made for Francis being a formal heretic. And so on and so forth. You have to know your faith. Don't think your local Novus Ordo bishop is going to give you the faith because he is not due to Vatican II. Do not think I must simply follow everyone else without, without putting the time in to know the difference between the two religions. It's why these heretics are calling us fundamentalist Pharisees and folk who are trying to cling to dogma too closely. Now, many are aware, but some don't care, but we still have to be aware. We have to keep our distance from heresy. The esteemed theologians all taught that clergymen can wither away into heresy. So this notion that they're somehow are robots and can only spew out tradition is not the Catholic position whatsoever. Heresy is heresy, folks. And I don't even have time to finish all this article because I've just been told I've only got 30 seconds left and I still haven't even gotten halfway through it. But the bottom line is, you know, basically, the, it's, everything's been inverted. Basically, Rome is Protestant now. Everything is, you know, Freemasonry is being taught. And as St. Francis of Assisi said, um, he said that the true Catholics of our times and these end times would be seen as heretics and schismatics. Unfortunately, folks, I can't finish this talk. I will probably do so during the week, but you can find it. Uh, Material Heretic Search, Tradcat Night, Material Heretic. You'll find the article, my good friends. And I just want to thank you all for tuning in to Tradcat Night Radio today. Bottom line is we've got to stay out of churches teaching material heresy or formal heresy. Until next time, next week, we've got three hours of the lines being open uh, next weekend on Saturday. And then if I take a quick look, we have uh, Randy Engel is going to be on on the 6th. So a powerhouse talk coming on Sunday on the 6th. Until next time, my good friends, stay safe. God bless. Great uh call-ins tonight look forward to your call calls next saturday take care god bless